Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. This is who our podcast guest is today. Thanks for having me on, mate. Toby Price, Red Bull, KTM, Factory Racing, 450 Rally, Class Rally. That's you. That is me, as it says by that uh, sponsorship card. So, well, not sponsorship card, I guess, uh, yeah, fan. It's a flyer. Flyer. You've got your own flyer. I'm trying to sell myself, I guess, yeah, pretty that's, much. That's classic. Um, what's going on, mate? Oh, you know, just, um, yeah, just living the life in Gold Coast and trying to catch up on uh, pretty much a, a horrid year that I've had, but we're um, making, making progress, so it's going the right way. Yeah, that's what I was going to start with, with the podcast, is 2017 has been shit if you're Toby Price. Other people have had good years. Toby Price, not so much. Yeah, that's it. I've got to try and keep it PG-rated. I'd like to say a lot of other words uh, of my 2017 year. But, um, yeah, it's been horrid, been shit. Um, definitely one I'd like to really forget about. Um, for sure, I've had a lot of injuries over my whole year and career and whatnot. But, um, yeah, like I say, far out, I broke my neck in 2013 and I feel like that was a, an easier injury to overcome at this stage uh, compared to a broken femur. So it's been, yeah, been up and down, but it's just, um, oh, well, I guess it kind of makes you stronger at the end of the day and, um, yeah, it makes all those, now well, hopefully more victories to come a little bit sweeter. Yeah, so it was, it's pretty crazy because in your career, it's been like, super low like as low as you can go to then you somehow find your way back to the top back to the bottom back to the top back to the bottom and it you know what i mean so it's like in 2016 you won dakar which was that was the crowning sort of moment that capped off the whole story of you know because like i said it's sort of always been a comeback story with you and then riding a high got a you know got the new house in the gold coast moved here it, life was pretty rad and then you One go into Dakar on the bike again for the fifth time and second in a trophy truck yep. for my first crack it was yeah like you say it was um it's been a violent roller coaster really so I pretty much should open my own theme park and call it yeah some yeah crazy wild ride of myself really and um but yeah it's it like it's 2016 was really good and just um everything was on a good roll and um yeah it just seemed like Nothing was really going to um, come to an end or a stop. So it was just, uh, yeah, just difficult. Um, yeah, we just basically crashed out in one event and back in Dakar again to try and go back and defend the title. And then, um, yeah, it's just, that's how quick it can change. Just in a blink of an eyelid, just like that. Uh, 
it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's part of the sport. Do you get sick of that part of the sport, though? <laughs> because, I mean, there's only, like, there's only, is there only so much you can take or is it just, like, how, mentally, how do you just keep getting, like, overcoming the shit that sort of happens? Yeah, that's it. It's definitely, it's it's mentally draining, um, for sure. Like, it's, yeah, you, you'd rather just, like, a constant flow of, like, top fives, really, compared to, like, a high and then just completely off the grid and then, and then coming back and going again like it's um yeah at the end of the day it's like sponsors want to see you out on track and they don't um they don't like to yeah it's not like they kind of give up on you but they just don't like to kind of stick behind you when um yeah the things get a little bit rough and whatnot like there's definitely sponsors out there that do and look after us and whatnot but it's yeah it's it's hard for them when they're investing into basically a, a brand which is myself and then once that then crashes out or it's yeah like a company that just like kind of folds um yeah it's hard for for, hard for them guys to kind of yeah stay in the real thin part of the the time and then um yeah once you get back on on and going again it's uh yeah you try and ride the high as much as you can what um what's the mental i guess i guess like the mental state that you keep having to find yourself in to keep going do you just like you know when someone for you, it's a different deal because you're a professional athlete, right? But if you can relate it, it's your job. So if you can relate it to just a dude at work that's got like, say, a shit boss. Like you don't have a shit <laughs> boss in KTM. But you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. it's the same thing. Like you've got to go to work every day with a shit boss. So it's kind of like you having to constantly go to work, rehabbing an injury or trying to get back to where you were. Yeah, that's it. It's um, yeah, for sure. I think if... A guy that goes to a job nine to five and they break a bone and whatnot, they're probably pumped and stoked that they're they're not going to be at work for the next six weeks. But um, yeah, like don't get me wrong, when I injure myself, the first three, four, five days or the first week, it's pretty much like, why why am I doing this? Like it's I'm just trashing my body to then when I get forty and fifty years old, and then you pretty much hang the helmet and the boots up. Um, you quickly get forgotten about and it's like sometimes you sit there and go why why am i doing this is it really worth it and um at the end of the time yeah it's going to be like i'm going to spend more years in a lot more pain than what i was kind of like in my glory really so yeah i don't know it's just um yeah then like i say after that first probably yeah five five days to a week like you kind of for me i get home i get home and just sit there and i, I get bored really quick and then it's like next thing you start thinking ah bike yeah go out there and just like yeah just have a look at it and just check over it and see if what where what kind of went wrong with yeah if you've crashed that bike at home or one at the race meeting you then you start watching videos and you know social media world these days it's like kind of get you amped up and get you going again and you don't you don't ever use your phone though what do you do nah, you have never. social no nah, never don't never even seen you on your I, phone i think i just like downloaded what's that thing called instagram or something oh like you got that? that i just got that i didn't like, think so. you had yeah i just didn't think you even used it yeah not too often i'm i'm a rookie at don't it. you just have blackstagram yeah blackstagram <laughs> that's it it's all my, where i'm at so the boys have hooked me up there and um but yeah so it's yeah, you just i don't know it's just something that just kind of comes back and bites you and um yeah, you just want to go back and get more of it but um yeah I just, I, like i say i've been riding a bike since i was two and a half three years old and racing since i was four and it's just uh kind of like a it's just thing. like in your yeah it's, yeah it's just in your blood really so it's if i don't wake up in the morning and smell petrol it's there's something wrong i might have a little bit of uh got an uh, issue yeah got a bit of an issue but uh nah it's all good just pour a bit of petrol over the cornflakes in the morning and away we go is it does it feel good knowing that dakar is so close because no. it's kind of like 
I guess no, because you're not not, not prepared point. like super well. Or <laughs> yeah. but at least you got a shot at redemption now, you know. Yeah, that's it. Like at the moment, like it's pretty much really for me. There is actually no pressure at all, really. So it's uh, with the year I've had with not racing at all. Um, yeah, it's like there's there's nothing riding on my shoulders really. Like uh, pretty much, like I say, you as we sit now, we're we're about just a bit over four weeks away from ten thousand kilometers of racing, and. Um, yeah, we're just basically going to be trying to get through, really, and, and go from there. But it's uh, at this stage, um, yeah, we're just trying to get it organised as best we can. But, yeah, it's definitely not the pre- best preparation. We've always wanted to go into Dakar, but... But it's, no. like, still a shot to get the win back. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's got to kind of... Because I guess when you... Say when you first did it and you first got home and then there was all the, the operations and then you, you know, you, then you had your struggle with the, the leg and... It just—it must feel like that shot to get that win back, or even just you know, like you got you got you got to get one back on what kind of bit you. So yeah. it's like it, at, at least that's close now. It's that's it. So it's getting really close. Like literally, uh, yesterday, which was the twenty eighth of uh, November, um, was the first time I got back on the bike since this second operation I've had in the leg, which I switched the rod out and cleaned the knee up, and they cleaned the bone up a little bit. And um, so, yeah, yesterday was pretty much the first time back in a bike to where I've actually felt like I'm half normal and decent on a bike. And, um, yeah, today's the 29th and tomorrow the 30th, I'm basically straight back on a plane to go to Morocco and um, hopefully set a bike up half decent to be um, as ready as we can be and and go from there. But, it's yeah, it's a a good feeling that we know we're going to be back on a start line and uh, it'll be pretty much... 12 months to the day um since it all kind of yeah crashed and fell down for me so no racing in 12 months on a motorcycle um it's going to be tough but I, i'm sure as shit if i sit at home um watch a watch a race on tv and eat a bag of chips and drink a beer i know what the result's going to be and it's not going to be on a podium or it's not even going to be in the race or a top 10 or a top 50 so um yeah everyone's kind of like asking the question why uh, why am i going back uh, when we're this close to it but you've got to be in it to win it. So, um, I don't know, it's just that Aussie attitude, I guess. We, we don't really care about too much, really, and don't, uh, we don't treat the body like a temple, that's for sure. So we just get out there and thrash it and see how we go. Just have a crack, mate. Just have a crack, that's it. I guess it's got to feel like, have you forgotten that the first time you did the Dakar, you were just like a, a bloody, you were like a bench warmer and you got third. So, I mean, like, at least maybe you got to think like, well, shit, this will be my third time doing it. Don't have much prep, but nah, I got to podium in the first one being a ball boy. Like, does that, like, basically, you were running the tee out to Jonathan Thurston in your first year and you got third. Yeah, that's so you've got to feel like somewhat good about that. I was, yeah, I was running the water, the water bottle out to the boys on the team. So, you were Adam uh, Sandler. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then you just got put in and got third. Oh, exactly. That's it. So it's, um, yeah, look, uh, anything can happen in this race. And that's like what I say. It's, you've got to be on the start line to see what, what can come of it. So it's, um, Everyone's like going, oh, yeah, you've got to look after your health. Yeah, for sure, 100%. That's, that's main priority. I've got to look after my health. But if, yeah, like I say, I sit at home, I know what the result's going to be. And it's, um, yeah, not going to be the one I want. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to just try and jump on the line. And whether I make three days or four days in the, or the halfway mark, whatever, I don't know. Um, yeah, if, if the body can't put up with it any longer than that, at least I can come home and say I had a crack and I tried my best. So it's... Uh, then again, if we can um, 
yeah, landed in the top five or landed on a podium again. Like you say, my first year it was just out of the blue and on the spot. Like, yeah, the rise for, for a Dakar win was a very steep slope. And, um, yeah, for sure, that's like a record that will stay with me for the rest of my life. I think it's – I don't think any other guy has done that um, in their second year to win a, win a Dakar. And um, I think I might be tied for the – uh, for the best result for being the first time out of Dakar. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's it. Just got to get in there and have a crack, like you say. Um, people, I don't think people get how gnarly Dakar is. And because even we've had a ton of conversations where, like even in hospital when you come back from your leg and like it fully blows my mind how gnarly it is. And some of the stories that you were telling of like, just sleep deprivation. Like, I would challenge anybody. Like, let's lay out your sleeping schedule. Just your sleeping schedule, right? And then let's just try and tell the people at home. Like, all right. It pretty much comes back to what sleep. Like, that's about it. Yeah, but that's, a, that's the thing that's crazy to me is that forget the motorcycle part of it. Forget the sand dunes. Forget all the crazy shit that you have to do in terms of, like, physically riding a bike. Just the fact that you're not sleeping and really not eating is crazy like tell what's the sleeping schedule yeah so that's it like at the end of our day like we probably get off the motorcycle at like four o'clock three thirty four o'clock in the afternoon um then we've just got a whole heap of jobs in the afternoon that we can go into detail a bit more about but by the time Mate, we, we got we got a couple of hours so we might as well yeah we might as well might as well cover the uh whole cover, track the, bit, cover the bases yeah so basically every morning it's like um we're up at like somewhere between two thirty to three thirty every morning um basically yeah to start anywhere for a 200 to maybe a 400 kilometer liaison ride um to get to the start of a special stage so it's like just in that alone like that's traveling from brisbane halfway to sydney really so it's like we're already on the road at yeah 3 4 o'clock in the morning and um yeah for sure we might get a little bit more sleep on a day that we might only have a 200k transport in the morning but majority of the time it's around then so we um yeah and then we start our special stage most of the time it's around a i think it's normally between a 300k day to maybe a 500k day for a special stage um then yeah the same thing in the afternoon we've got to get to the end of the day back to our bivouac which is where they our service park is and um then it basically turns into yeah you hand the bike back to the mechanic um you pretty much spend half an hour with him just trying to sort things out and just like say yeah like maybe the, cl- the clutch felt like was slipping a bit um fork seals are leaking or something or there yeah, the bike was the fan like the fan the cooling system was running all the time or just little things that they can kind of check over and uh, maybe your throttle maybe you might have had a little crash and jam the throttle cable up so you just kind of run over the bike just let him know what what things to check he just my mechanic joe he just kind of checks over everything for us and um we're pretty easy on a bike. I'm a big guy, but I look after the thing as much as I can. And then, um, so you spend half an hour about doing that. So we, like I say, yeah, we finish about four o'clock on average uh, every afternoon. Spend half an hour doing that. Come in, then we go and have a shower quickly. So yeah, you lose half an hour doing that. It's five. Uh, then you get to try and get some food in you as, as soon as you possibly can. Um, so you're just trying to load up on whatever it's about. We've got, uh, with KDM, they take a chef um, that just sorts everything out food-wise for us. Load up on that, drink, hydration. Um, so just trying to skull pretty much bottles of water and um, electrolytes and whatnot. Before then, yeah, by then it's like probably around about 6 o'clock-ish. Um, then we spend anywhere from like 2 to 3 hours, maybe up to 4, depending on what the day is, ahead for the stage. 
um, marking our roadbook. So it's our our roadbook role pretty much comes anywhere from this to this, and it's um, that's that's our holy grail of um, that's racing. like all your navigation notes and stuff. That's all our navigation notes. If we lose that bit of paper um, before we load it into the bike the next morning, we're in for a disastrous day and uh, a really really long day. So. Yeah, we've got to mark that the best we can. So, that, like I say, marking it is coming down to like highlighters. So I have like greens and blues and purples and. And it's all in. It's in French, isn't it? Yeah, it's all in French. So I. Can, How do you speak French? Uh, we. Oui. Yeah, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> no, it's um. Yeah, I got nothing. I can barely speak English, and it's um. So yeah, the guys over there kind of struggle to understand my Australian English. We speak a little bit too far, so. The uh the way we speak to the guys there is like yeah uh, yeah all is okay is no problem uh, the bike was really good today and it's like when you talk like this it's yeah you just seem really weird and different and whatnot but it's um this yeah, is so like what you got to do to get that point across get your point across so you've just got to slow everything right down so that they can kind of catch everything you're saying to them and then and um, so why do you mark your road books in french is that just because it's that's just like the industry standard like that's how you have to do it industry standard that's what gets issued to every competitor um Wonder, on where did the french i guess well it was paris to dakar Paris to Dakar. So, so that's just how it started that's how it started and if you're going to race in that race um no you're shit. a part of their event so you got to learn the french part of the road book so we have like markings in the road book that it's got like all in capitals tdrsp i think it is and it's like keep straight on main track so it's like not even the first letter of any of those match what the what the meaning of it is and <laughs> that's so gnarly so it's just little things like that um we need to get you a emoji road book because i feel <laughs> like that's about like the extent you, of your communication what do you mean skills? mate i don't use a phone like i, I <laughs> yeah. don't even have no, look yeah. that was that was a joke because toby's phone is glued to his hand the only time he's not on it oh, come on. is when he's on the bike and he hasn't been on the bike much this year mate i'm not allowed to take it on the bike with me you're not allowed to take any like smartphones on the bike with us because oh because the gps gps is into that yeah. so you can't take none of that you can't even take a like a garmin watch or anything because you can load a track into that and find your way through so there's so many restrictions on that that you can't uh take along on the road with you so yeah like i say it's um yeah all these road books and all the markings and stuff you just basically like kind of at home i, I make up little flashcards yeah and just kind of flash what the um the symbol is and then just then try and remember what the meaning of it or like it is to the to the roadbook, so that's just like little things we practice and whatnot for there. Like I say, then when we, once we do that, um, that probably then kind of ends up to me in about eight o'clock. Then eight o'clock we have uh, a briefing uh, with ASO, which is a are they like the, the promoter? They're like the promoter committee that run the whole of Dakar event. They just kind of give us a bit of a guideline on what the day is going to be like between the first ten to thirty kilometers of a special stage. It could be rocky and snotty and average. From 30 to 80 k's is going to be really tricky navigation. It's going to be in sand dunes, and you're going to have to take your time. Be careful. Like the sand silt beds are really, really soft. Like so, they just because that's give... what caught you out last year, right? It was like a silty water crossing kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like a water river bed crossing something in there. So it was all hard packed surface ground and whatnot. And then um, yeah, I ended up finding something on the ground and. All I remember was a hard thud and just starting to hear a little bit of valves and lights out and yeah, no uh, no camera, no action and um, then landing in a uh, waking up in hospital and um, in La Paz in Bolivia. So that was where my race this year kind of finished for us and then yeah, kind of destroyed everything. But 
So then once we finish that, a writer's briefing usually goes for about half hour, 45 minutes, just kind of going through things and um, things, yeah, we write down in notebooks and stuff so we can go back to the, the campus or the tents and stuff to kind of read over. Then we just have um, basically like an hour or so, we just go back through the road book and just make sure we've marked everything to the, to the way we like things. There might be a couple of things we missed or might be a couple of important things. So like I say, for me, or how we, we, we've got the colours, so it's like green, blue, purple so for green for me if i see green on my road book i know it's like pretty much full gas wide open greens go red um is like danger point so we have uh caution one two and three um caution one pretty much you can still be pretty much quick. full gas wide open um it's just something there to kind of keep an eye out for that um yeah if you're looking down or whatever you have a danger three um yeah if you do not button off and probably drop back to a second or a third gear you're gonna be yeah in the back of a meat wagon like myself but where i crashed i didn't have no there was no note no nothing right. um so yeah i just caught something out of the blue which kind of maybe blended into the ground and whatnot so then yeah uh, blue for me is like navigation calls where i've got to make sure that yeah i yeah got to get off track making like a turn or a left or a right or a follow a cap 220 um whatever like things like this so it all kind of like it's not like back on the compass we have gauges up on the top that tell us our distance so in kilometers and then we have another gauge to the right which is um like i say our cap heading so so, so zero or 360 degrees is north um and then basically yeah whichever way they kind of want you to go they get 18 degrees 22 yeah. degrees um just got to follow that so Mark all those things. And then, like I say, well, then we probably try and eat a little bit more food again just to try and get something um, back in, topped up as, as much as we can. Um, and then we have a bit of a bit of a briefing with the team, just going over a few things and that. Uh, and then I finish that pretty much and set all my gear up for the next day. So, like, if I want to change helmet pads and stuff, so I change all that quickly, make another set of goggles up. So... I take enough set of goggles pretty much to be a new like set for every, every day. day. Um, so it's 12 days of racing. Like it's, if you have to be stand, standing there and um, uh, like cleaning a set of goggles, like I know it's only say you, you're only going to clean them for four minutes, five minutes, but over two weeks of racing, four or five minutes adds up to a lot of time at the end of the two weeks. So you're better off just to kind of have fresh sets. So you just go into a cupboard and grab them and, and away you go again. Um, I, I mix all my camelbacks um, Bladders, like USD, USWE, supply all my camelbacks. Um, bladders that I mix up here, and then all I've got to do is just add water to just them and throw them, them straight into my backpack. I throw the other bladder out, and I don't even deal with powders, no nothing. It's just water straight in, done. Um, which, yeah, like if you can prepare all those things back home here in Australia as much as you can and be ready for the race, um, yeah, it saves. It might end up saving you three, four, five hours of work at the end of two weeks, period, really. So, yeah. Um, if you can sleep three, four, five hours extra, um, yeah, it makes a big difference. So uh, by the end of that then, you're pretty much, yeah, it's like 10.30, um, whatever, uh, getting things sorted, 10.30, 11 o'clock. Um, yeah, climb into bed and away you go and it's back up at 2.30, 3.30 in the morning and send you in another day. Away we go. What's the um, sleeping situation like? Where, like, where do you guys sleep? Uh, lucky with us, like at Red Bull KDM, um, we have a sponsor uh, through a company that supplies a KDM team with um, with campers. So anyone else besides uh, probably like the factory teams, um, yeah, they all supply their own tents, um, sleeping bags and swags or whatever. Uh, 
not many people over there know what a swag is so it's um yeah. that would be like the the uh, what do they call glamping of uh, uh camping um but yeah they've got to set their camp their tents up every day pack them up every morning so like if the guys that are in tents are probably going to start behind us maybe 20 to 40 50 minutes after like the the front run- runners do so they do probably get a little bit more time to sleep whatnot but then some of them don't even like really get time to sleep much at all like some mornings i've I've woke up at 3.30, got on the bike at 4 o'clock, and as I'm about to take off from my time card, um, so, yeah, we all run on time schedule, they'll say, yeah, we, I leave at um, 3.30 in the morning from the first check, and I'm riding up the road. Next thing I'm seeing a light heading towards me, and it's a guy from the previous day that's still coming in to finish that last day I've just done. Like it, When you do that, um, those guys are in some pretty they're big stru- yeah they're a long day like it's they've been nearly been on the bike 24 hours so when you do that um you're pretty much gonna start losing you might last another two days and then yeah you're gonna be pretty much eyes rolling in the back of your head and um all crossed up so how i would describe that is me and you mountain biking with maddie pretty much yeah so like by the time we get to the to the top of the hill yeah matt's been there for like yeah 20 minutes and he's rested he's out of power bar he's instagrammed yeah and then we've just got there with our tongue in our sprocket tongue in our sprocket and then we just got to have a quick sip of a drink and uh barely barely and then um yeah uh get back on the road and get into it so that's like just the sleeping part of dakar which is a trip that yep. i don't think that many people realize is that gnarly then there's all the temperature changes that like the race just is so complex even the fact of how you the transporters have to like leapfrog because Mm. you can't even keep up with the because they're in like semi trailers and campers and stuff like that and then you guys are pinning it so there's all this like leapfrogging that has to happen like you can't you literally can't even drive and follow the race yeah no that's it it makes it pretty hard to to drive and follow the race so yeah not only on top of like if you can get five hours of sleep a night um you're doing pretty damn good so it's if you, yeah, get up five hours of sleep, then the, the team takes off um, as soon as pretty much they're all packed up, ready to go. As soon as we leave them, like they're kind of nearly overtaking us in another separate lane to get on the road and get going. And like the, the way it kind of works is like we're at this point and then we kind of go out this way, like further out east or west or whatever. And then they kind of just get like a bit of a straight line run to, to our next bivouac most of the time they the team will get there before us so like they have nearly most of the things will set up well before we ride in um to hand the bikes off but there's probably two maybe three stages that they might we might actually beat them there and then we've got to sit and kind of wait for the guys to show up so um that normally happens like uh we we normally have like one or two stages it's up over a thousand kilometers so one day could be 1100 kilometers total in a day and we normally end up beating the guys there by maybe 40 minutes to an hour sometimes so and so you got no food or you've got no like you're just kind of out there chilling is there is there anyone there that can give you guys any support um so when we when we cross over um the last point going into the bivouac at the end of the day so it's basically a cornered off big area so we there's probably about two and a half three thousand people that are all kind of set up camp in this big cornered off bivouac and then 
when we clock off to say that yeah we're finished the day we're safe or all, all is good they give us a little lunch bag and it's got like a little juice popper in it and um it's like kind of like that rice cream and stuff so they give you like a little bits and pieces so you just like haul ass into that thing and just like scoff all that down and then uh yeah you'll sit and wait and then once your team gets there they'll try and like quickly whip up some bowls of pasta and a bit of sauce and whatnot and then um some salads and everything then you haul into that um and then yeah like you shower and stuff so it's yeah you, you do get a bit from them so it's not like you get there yeah, to you're a not point just like stranded and there's like four or five is just like on bikes sitting there going uh is this the right spot like um aso committee is all kind of set up there and ready to go and and relax or not relaxing but they're just organizing everything and keeping the event going yeah um and then so this is a little maybe a little known toby price fact that i picked up this year well i don't know when i picked it up you just no, don't, don't feel the cold. I'm a big boy. I've got, I've got a lot of but meat to me. you've got like a... You and your dad have like a crazy, crazy ability to never be cold. But on the flip side of that, you hate being hot. So that's another thing about Dakar is you go through these extremes of being like crazy cold and then crazy hot. Yeah. So you're, you don't care about the cold part, but then when it comes to the heat, you just cook. Oh, like the, the heat doesn't kill me. Like it... I don't like it, but um, I can still function in it. So, yeah, like for me, sitting here now, like I think the air conditioner's on at 20 degrees and I think if you can see, I'm, I'm sweating. Like it's, I just hate hate being hot and um, the colder it is, yeah, the better I function. And, um, yeah, there's, for this race at Dakar, it takes you through all these different conditions. So um, one day, yeah, you can be cruising through the antis at minus four or five degrees um, and then that afternoon you can be down in the sand dunes down at sea level and 38 there 48 degrees like anywhere in there and it's bloody yeah it's cooking so it doesn't yeah the race just throws everything at you and altitude and stuff but um yeah like i say i can it's pretty funny like most of the time you see the boys out on the liaison sections and stuff when you know it's going to be fairly cold i can Pretty much all I would throw on for a bit of a cold stage would be like a one thermal top, a jersey, my basically my body armor suit that we kind of wear by Alpine Stars, and um, and then uh, our jackets have got like a, a zip on the on the shoulders that you can unzip the sleeves and take the sleeves off. Like so, when it's really hot, you just basically get like a vest, um, or you can put the sleeves back on and ride like through a bit of cold. So then I I just put the sleeves back on and away I go but you you see some boys that wake up in the morning they come out looking like the Michelin man and um they got like four like thermal tops on and they got two jerseys they got snow gloves on and um yeah that's about the only thing I kind of do feel a bit would be the uh the fingertips um that's yeah you kind of get the old numb tips of the fingers and stuff so maybe I, I might throw um uh like a like the food processing, like the gloves you'd use to yeah. like run your, your oil through your air filter and stuff. So yeah. kind of run those on so it kind of deflects a bit of the wind and the cold off off the thing. But yeah, you still get the cold tips and whatnot. But yeah, other than that, like it's, um yeah, I'm I'm sitting up, perched up high, cruising along and the boys are like trying to tuck in behind their windscreen and they've got all these suits and rain jackets and coats and whatever on and like, when they get to the start of the special stage, like if it's been a cold morning ride, um, they're taking off layers and layers of gear and whatnot, and they've got like a mountain of riding gear just like sitting at a special stage that we can put into a bag and 
ASO sometimes help us out and take that stuff because they know it's it's tough for us on the bike to carry that, all that to carry all that like through a stage and whatnot. So um, they do help us out a bit. Like we literally can't take a full gear bag full of stuff, but like if we have enough stuff that they can kind of just look after us a bit, it's not too bad. So what do you like? Well, how do you explain the crash? Like exactly how gnarly it was. Um. Pretty much the only way I can explain it is I... Um, Do you remember how fast you were going? I don't remember speed. I don't... I didn't have... Uh, the the bot, My bottom gauge normally tells me my speed, but if I'm looking, like, if I'm sitting on the bike, like, looking out over, and then the, the road book's probably about here, the gauge that tells me my speed's probably down here. If I'm starting to look down that far, then, like, I'm, I'm, go- I'm putting myself into a lot of danger most of the time, so... That we only use that like the speed odometer pretty much for when we're through um, like towns like little whatever, villages yeah. and towns and stuff. So our GPS doesn't track us. Our GPS tracks us, but it doesn't tell us where to go. It just tells us where we are. So if we hit a uh, like a, a small little village uh, in the middle of a special stage, we might have to go through that village at fifty kilometers an hour. So it pinpoints where we are, and then if we hit that mark um, where we need to start that that speed zone. It'll clock the um, GPS off at that, and then you've got to do under 50 kilometers an hour. So you try and keep it at 49 kilometers so an like hour. So it's like getting a like a pit violation in Formula like, One or yeah, something. 100%. Yeah, 100. So if you go through that, if you hit 51 kilometers an hour in a 50 kilometer zone, like and it pings you at that, I think depending on the day or the the speed penalty, like it can be anywhere from a minute up to five minutes um, for how much you go over. It depends on how much you go over the speed. So if you're like 55 kilometers an hour in that. Yeah, they ping you for like five minutes, so that starts killing your day. But um, yeah, all I remember for that crash this year was um, being in a riverbed. Um, I'm all I know is I was top gear and pretty much wide open. So our bike on a good, smooth, hard pack surface, we can probably get 170, 175 um, anywhere in there. Uh, probably about one between 165 and 175, depending. For me, probably it's 165. I'm a big boy. Um, bike doesn't really like trying to pull me too much, but especially in the sand. Especially in the sand. So we had a, it was a bit of a soft surface, whatnot. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know probably would have been 145 kilometers an hour. Like I, I just know I was top gear, wide open. Um, real hard, like impact. Um, and then all I then just like I say, all, all I remember is just starting to hear a little bit of valves. And then, um, yeah, waking up. So, like, when you say you were hearing valves, that means you were going over the front, so you were trying to hold the bike wide open and bring the bring the back down, basically. Pretty much, or I think it just happened that quick. Like or you've just, was, or you were just holding just it on still on the whole time, just, yeah. I was, I was just wide open and hanging on to the thing. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, I've got a bit of false information relayed to us. I don't know if it was on purpose or if it was just something out of the blue. Yeah, what was the story with that? Uh, so, yeah, like, we... What was it? We crossed from uh, where was it this year? Uh, I can't even remember. That's a bit. See, I think it's still you got from, knocked still out. From, so. I got knocked out, <laughs> yeah. so still from the crash. But we're crossing the border into Bolivia. That's all I know. Um, the where we started in that first country, we we crossed the border into Bolivia. The guy on the pit board pretty much said to me, "Hey, yeah, this is like the other what the other times the guys come in because like, I think I started that stage that day maybe." Eighth or ninth, I think. So the day before, I had a bit of a trouble day. I just I got a couple, couple lost, lost in a couple of bits, and then. Because um, were you leading the day before? 
uh, I was leading the stage out the day before, yeah. yeah. And then I got lost a little bit and I lost a bit of time. But So for the people that don't haven't watched Dakar before, you're really not trying to win at the start. Oh, no, no, no. Like, what's the, that kind of strategy there, just for people that don't know? For sure, 100%. You prefer to be... If you can be in the top probably 8 to 12 people, you're in, you're in a prime position. Like, it's that's where you want to be. You don't want to be running at the front, making the calls, making the tracks for everybody behind you. Because then all the navigation's on you, right? Yeah, 100%. That's like, there's no, there's no tracks in front of me. There's no... No, nothing. Like, it's just, it's a good flat piece of ground and you're just following that road book um, and just, like, kind of, sometimes you're second-guessing yourself, just making sure everything's right. Like, if you've got certain things that are, like, in your road book that say, hey, you've got to come to a T intersection and you hit at 13.5, there's a T junction, turn right, um, you hit that, you, you, you know you're in the right spot. Like, there's no, those stages are fairly, fairly simple, but just to try and ride them at speed becomes difficult too, but... The, the stage where it gets really difficult is if they, they, they change, like in on the road book, it'll be a solid line. So that means like um, like with an arrow at the tip of it, uh, that's like a road, a more predominant road, so you can easily see a track where you would go. If that then kind of ends, um, there might be a, a road that you're on, and then off to the right, um, it'll have like a, like a dotted, dotted line with an arrow off there. That tells us we're going to go off track, off piste, um, and follow a cap, and so it could be cap 125. So when you get to that point at, uh, say, 14.2 kilometres, when you hit that, you've got to then turn off and go cap 125, and then it's just clear, tr- like, ground. It could be camel grass, like, so just rough, rock, shitty. could be going into sand dunes. You could be going to anything. And when, once you go into sand dunes... Um, you literally become there's no reference points there's no nothing so it'll just continue on as a dotted line and then it'll say at yeah, 16 kilometers you got to follow cap yeah one say 150 so 150 that then means um if you start going up in numbers you've got to start turning to the right more mm. if you start going down in numbers so if you're following cap 115 and it says follow cap 70 then you start going left and that take that taking numbers away and then you, you, you're mm. going the right way. See, these are the things you've got to, got to try and ride more and do. And then, like I say, you could be doing cap, um, just for instance, say cap 350 and then they tell you to go cap 15. Um, like how I said before, you'd go left to take numbers off. Well, cap 350 to 15, you'd turn right because it then takes you yeah, over your 360 and then, it's all the way yeah. back to your 15. So yeah. you've got to be careful on those areas. So you might be going flat out and just have a mind blank and it says, yeah, 350, go cap 115 or go cap 15. And you go, oh, I've got to go left. The next thing you just start doing, oh, big 360. Just and then in a circle. go in a circle and you go, oh, cap. And I'm like, ah, oh, damn, you've, yeah. I just needed to turn right. Like that was all it was. So they're the bits you've got to be a little bit on top of um and then yeah it just kind of drags your day out of just uh, anywhere like a four five hundred k day of doing navigation calls in front of everybody showing them the way um it makes it easier for them so you got to got to be like i say you don't it's just like be... a strategy kind of like a tour de france kind of thing where you yep. sort of everyone's pace and just maintain maintain the front maintain the don't front. let people go away but then so yep. what happens is the guy, I can't remember his name. Who was the dude that was out in front? And you were kind of tripping, right? Because someone told you that he had like, he pulled five minutes in a stage where you thought it was impossible to pull time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was like, 
pretty much all the guys in front of us. Um, pretty much, I think, was uh, Bereda on the Honda. Yeah. I think the guys said, oh, yeah, on, on Bereda's time, and you're leaving at this time, and you left at this time in the morning from the start of the special stage. And he was like, oh, that's roughly, yeah, you were took off, like, whatever it was, like five minutes behind. You're leaving this time here, uh, so take five minutes. And he's like, oh, that's, like, you're seven minutes down on overall time just for the day and i was like Phew. it was it was just all track all road like yeah like, like it I wasn't was, anything where was no, you could make up time no make up pinned. time you you were just pinned on a road pretty much for the whole day and i was like yeah the, the hondas are fast but we're, we're nearly on on par and matching and there's no way in the world you could pull seven minutes so i was like something's going on like the boys are putting on a charge today and 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 trying to break away and get away for a little bit um just to have a bit of a buffer for the next day or something so i was like uh i think at that stage i was like nine minutes down on the overall lead um to Barreto, i think on the honda and in second place overall and i was like well seven minutes then kind of takes me yeah. out to your 15 16 minute mark depending on what time you cross the line at the end of it so i was like well I just need to pick it up a little bit um, just to kind of try and claw it back to maybe four-minute gap. Like, I can kind of control that because we were at day – this was day four I crashed. We have a rest day at day seven. So if I can stay within, like, I reckon between 15 and 20 minutes um, by day seven, um, you're still setting yourself in a pretty good position. I think if you're starting somewhere in 35, 35 40 minutes down on the second week – you're, you're starting out of it. You're not you're not you're not out at 100 percent no like literally i've seen guys get lost for two hours like and that have been in front yeah. like sam sunderland that won this year the year before when i won um he was leading a stage out for the whole day was keeping his gap of like two to three minutes over everybody um i think he ended up being almost 40 kilometers from the end of the day nailing the whole thing the whole day um and made one navigation wrong call uh went the wrong way couldn't find his way back lost for two hours dehydrated then he just like was backwards like it was just it wrecked his whole thing and and then um i think three days later because he dehydrated himself he wasn't like up and fresh and and going i think he crashed and knocked his head a little bit and then yeah like, once you do that then you, you're better off to pack up and go home like it's you're not you're not going to bring the race back to you. So you've just got to have... Well, there's just too much that can go wrong. There is. There's just too much to go wrong. Like, you're not you're not recovering. The body's trying to repair itself too much. Like, Tour de France guys, they say, like, if you see one guy, he crashes in Tour de France and just takes skin off the off the outside of his leg, you nearly see him probably pretty much pack up and go home. And everyone just goes, well, he was walking. It wasn't even limping. He's not sore. But um, for how physically demanding, like... Um, tour de france is like the body drains that much energy just to try and repair that broken skin um and they say that like no like the riders can't recover from that and that's exactly the same as what it is for us at dakar like as soon as you dehydrate yourself you run yourself like on empty um, no food something like that yeah you you start making your next two three four days really damn tough and you and you can't really yeah, keep up like yourself. Compounds. like I, I eat so much food on that race and i lose between seven to nine kilos in two weeks that's so. what was crazy the year you won you came and stayed with me right after the race how good did i look though far Dude, out you were lean i was <laughs> lean as you could be that was a lean toby price that was a lean toby price and that was like a skeleton but i damn damn well look good on the beach almost mate. had abs 
Nah, nah. They've never had abs, mate. They're, they're hidden under those bakery rolls there Fuel somewhere. Fuel tank for love. Hell yeah, but, but um, I couldn't. I could not. I'd never seen you that skinny, and I'd never seen anybody that tired. Nah. Like nah. so, I'm gonna bash you a little bit. But we're watching Supercross, <laughs> and Toby's on the Box, Toby's on the couch. Never yeah, he comes. That that was like the first thing he wanted to do. Is he's like, oh, did you tape Supercross? So we looked up Supercross and we started watching. It was like three main events or something that the race had been. So Toby's on the couch, and. Uh, he almost made it to the end before falling asleep. I and know you made it to heat one, didn't I? <laughs> no, nah, you almost made it to the end of the night. Yeah. I think you were kind of in and out, but the main came around, you stayed awake. So the podium interviews come around and Toby starts talking a Dakar acceptance <laughs> speech during the during the podium on the TV. That's how delirious and tired you were. Fuck, where the hell do you have such a good damn memory? Because that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Like you were yeah. fully out on the couch and then Ralph Shaheen is, or Diana Dalgren or whoever it was, is doing like the podium. would have been interviewed by her. Like, I, I if was, she goes to yeah. Dakar, yeah, well maybe hit her up. Be like, come to Dakar. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that was the that was the tightest I've ever seen a human. Yeah. I've never, ever, ever seen anyone that exhausted. And that's exactly what it's like. I, yeah, like I say, you, I, I lose, I eat so much food. I lose between seven, eight, nine kilos in the last two Dakars I've completed. Um, and then yeah, I'm that sleep deprived. Like it's yeah, I've, you're I've, barely I'm, there. Like I'm, for I'm, days, I'm after. pretty much. I'm literally a zombie for a month. Um, and then like the second month is like when I start to kind of come back around and be myself and have energy and kind of want to get out. So I, I get outside and go and do stuff, but it's like, it's just not the same. I grab a towel and I go to the beach and then it's like go and crash out in the beach and have a sleep. And then, yeah, go, oh, well, I didn't, didn't really enjoy and that because I didn't see lot, nothing. So. You sleep a lot of the best of times. Oh, mate, I'm a big koala bear. So it's like freaking sorts me out. But, um, you and Ty Simmons hold the record for people that I know for sleep. He could yeah. sleep anywhere, yeah, and yeah. so could you. A hundred percent. I, 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 pretty much most of the time, I just I have my clothes on and whatever, and I'm I'm on a trip somewhere, and I just lay on top of a bed and crash out and fall asleep. I'm literally fell fall asleep in thirty seconds, so it's like, um, yeah, the boys kind of don't mind. I, I, I get a good old snore on me, so like they don't like the old chainsaw like going at night, but um, I pretty much yeah, I, I share the camp with uh, Antoine Mio. Um, he's like, yeah, okay, it's a really good day. Well, we'll go to sleep and uh, we'll see you in the morning and make sure everything's and good. Out. And like literally, I'd say, yep, good night. See you in the morning. And he says like 15, 20 seconds later, he said, you start snoring. And he's like, like you, can't, you can't be asleep by then. And he like tries to talk to me and I'm out. Like it's just, I'm, I'm gone. And like he thinks you're taking the piss. He thinks I'm taking like, the piss. Like I'm like, he, he, quick, he starts like, laughing yeah, and just thinking, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly like that. So he's like, yeah, he just he starts laughing and he try, tries to have a bit more of a chat and I just don't answer back. It's just like being rude and stuff. So, yeah, it's, um, and then like you say, yeah, I start talking to a Dakar speech on, podium, on interviews. podium interviews and stuff on a lounge at, uh, for a Supercross race that I'm not even at or competing in. And, um, yeah, that was uh, after the year I won, pretty much I, I got a bit of a rad surprise present like from all KDM and Red Bull and stuff. I went over... Um, uh, to watch Anaheim 2 and uh, caught up Dungey and Musquin and stuff there and took the Dakar trophy with me and stuff because I, I don't think there's been a winner in the States out of a Dakar or anything either, even the car category or... But it's nearly all European, like, winners. Because um, it's kind of like soccer a bit. 
to the Americans. It's like something they're just now trying to get into. Because like Caselli was kind of the first guy to really embrace it. Because yep. America, you know what America's like, it's yep. American football, it's baseball. So they, they do their own stuff. And yeah. Dakar is like the FIFA World Cup of motorsport. Yeah. And they're just like, nah, we'll do our own thing. We'll just do our own thing, we'll, yeah. We got Baja. But yeah, now exactly. they're really starting to come around. And it's probably, probably because of KTM. Because yeah, KTM's sure. so into it. Yeah, KTM loves it. Like KTM now, I think they've just won the event this year. Was with Sam was sixteen years in a row. So I was the fifteenth year consecutive. Um, yeah, so it's like KTM. It's like a big, big, big thing, big deal for them. Like it's pretty much the race. They all like that. Um, KTM, Honda, Yamaha, and yeah, a couple of others that really. They'd love to kick the year off with that win to start the year off. Well, well. yeah, because it start like that's the first big win that you can have. January third is normally when it takes off, so it's this year January six. Um, so yeah, that's that's the first one they kind of want to like get all get a hold of and and hang on to. And um, yeah, we so Kurt was pretty much like the first guy that kind of got his name in onto that and and went over and tried out with Dakar with KDM and um that's where how kind of like my name popped up um coming into dakar and stuff through alex uh, doringer which is our, our pretty much runs our whole program with uh, red bull kdm and um he uh kurt yeah pretty much just mentioned uh, to them saying hey just keep an eye on toby maybe he could be a guy you could look after in the future and maybe he could make he, he's fast in the desert so he could maybe make a good rally rider if he can navigate well so um, that all kind of kicked off there, and um, so yeah, it's where the interest kind of started for in the states, USA, uh, was through Kurt, and um, what are they? I think states now, and also like Robbie Gordon's been doing Dakar for yeah, a few years trucks, too eh? in the trucks in the yeah. car class. So uh, he's been there going for a few years, and just had a lot of things go up and down, and not quite his way and whatnot. So. Um, yeah, so there, there's been a lot of interest for it for, for USA, and then uh, we've now, I think, they've got Ricky Brabeck and uh, Bryce Menzies, so he's in the mini. And plus the Andrew car. Short's doing it this year for and then, Husky. Yeah, Husky's just signed I'm actually up. actually super interested to see how he goes, because he is one of the nicest dudes ever, and obviously he can ride a bike. Rad dude, yeah, hell, hell yeah. One of the nicest dudes that you could ever come across, like pretty much riding a dirt bike, and... Um, yeah, it's uh, he enjoyed like he raced at Morocco, um, got a fairly decent result there. Yeah, for his how did he do that? I think it was just outside the top ten. So That's not it's, bad, like, eh? it's still good. Like it's for his first one. Like literally, he showed up pretty much saying he'd only done one or two road books in the states, um, practicing, and then um, just, just showed up and yeah, had a crack. Which is pretty much a very similar story to what I've got. So it's um. It was cool to see him come over and like he's been so he's pretty been pretty damn successful in motocross and supercross and yeah. um yeah so it's it's good to see him come back like I guess he kind of retired from from that and um went across and was uh doing all the testing for Roxon and everything and then um yeah he still loved that he, he spoke of that saying that it was that was one of the coolest jobs he had and was yeah that fun factor was always there um hanging out with him and doing stuff with him but because well, when ken and when ken first moved to the states is when i first moved there so we both moved there at the same time and shorty was on ktm yeah so that was like his shorty was ken's dude like they went to the track together every day they ate together every day like yeah shorty yeah. was the guy that really kind of helped ken move over so that's yeah. what when i saw that 
uh, Shorty has left that whole Honda deal to do the desert thing. That's what told me he must be super into it because I know how pumped he would be on that, you know, working with Ken in that kind of form at Honda. Yeah, 100%. That's exactly right. So he he still speaks really highly of that that program he had there and what he was doing. And um, But he said as, as, as a normal thing for all of us, like yeah, when you're a racer, he said it's hard to kind of, get away from that competition competitive side so um he said yeah like it was a it was a good job for what he was doing there with honda he said it just kind of started to catch up that yeah he just started to feel like he had a little bit more left in him and something like the dakar is um something that yeah, he could kind of do and hook into so um uh yeah husqvarna approached him got him on board and so um, ktm no, Husqvarna, mate. Casey. Husqvarna. It's like, it's just two different families. It's, uh, it's like yeah. a cousin. Uh, here's Maddie Mac. We've got some visitors. We've got Maddie Mac visitors in here. Actually, let's pause for a Red Bull real quick. Oh, Do you want yeah. a Red Bull, mate? Red Bull. We're on, mate. Yeah, sign me up. We oh, on? we're still live, are we? Oh, we're on, mate. We, did, we don't stop. Ron, stop. Ron, don't stop. Ron, don't stop. <laughs> What's that? Can we give a quick we give a quick shout out to uh, Alpine Studios? That's where we're at. Alpine Studios slash Gold Coast Studios with the tripod rental There's and uh, power cord Alpine rental. Alpine Studios, mate. This is the first time work gets done here. Like, oh, <laughs> wow. Toby, with the merch line dropping tomorrow that Maddie just went and picked up. Uh, We've got a crowd here. He's out. See you, mate. See you later, Do you, do you guys want to sign Toby Price pamphlet? Did you steal me a dog? <laughs> yeah, Toby wants a dog. Yeah, give me a dog. Dog for a shout out. <laughs> Eight grand. Eight grand for a dog? Yeah. Um, yeah. Does it come with the car that they drop it off in? Does it come with that Mercedes they had? <laughs> no wonder they got a Mercedes. Bloody eight grand for a dog. Uh, see you, see you tomorrow. No, wait, actually. Pull that. Make sure you just keep pulling that mic close to you. Oh, pull this out. This way a bit. All right, and we're back. We've got a Red Bull, but we're back. I needed a drink. Bloody stories are good, Tobes. You're good, at, you're good at this podcast stuff. Oh, mate, I can spin it, yeah, that's for sure. Um, so we we kind of started talking about your crash about 45 minutes ago. Um, yeah, how long is this going to go for? I don't know. I'm pretty Just sure people it, don't want to hear me talk shit. They do, though. Two hours. Hey, hang on two secs. Oh, now, we're gonna, now you're just holding the show up. Oh, yeah, got plenty of time. Nothing but time for a bloke like you. <laughs> um, Just cough. So we, so we started talking about your crash probably 40 minutes ago, um, and we haven't quite got there. So to, re, to recap, it's been good. I, I like the tangents, but just to get people back to speed. So Pretty much on the speed, mate. All I did was hit something in the ground and ended on my face really hard and woke up in a hospital. What happened to your leg? Snapped it. Which bit? Femur. That's the big. That's the big dog. That's that big dog right at the top. That's the big one you don't want to break. No. Nah. That's like snapping a piece of two by four. Yeah. That's in your body. Hundred percent. So. Are my answers good for you now? No. Yeah, no. that's good. You're doing better before. <laughs> the, All right. the Red Bull's got you, buddy. Jade. Um, give me some wings. Yeah, mate. you've got wings. Um, so you, you crash. You're laying on the. You're laying on the Bolivian desert. Where were you when you crashed? Um, yeah, I was in Bolivian Desert. I really actually don't quite know where I was. It's actually quite funny. Um, a guy actually, I first p- 
picture I just received on social media, um, messaged me today and said he was a guy that helped me um, while I was laying on the ground and I do not remember the dude, don't remember seeing nothing. I'm just trying to find, here we go. If, will the camera see this, you reckon? If I put it up to it? Like, uh, yeah, put it up there. I'll, I'll just, I'll screenshot it and put it on the podcast anyway. So pretty much as you can see there, I look like I'm in a... Um, world of fun i look like i was uh oh. having a great old time and um holding some stranger's hand um pretty much yeah just trying to get comfortable and get sorted and that is actually like the first photo i've kind of seen anything of me um being at that event um crash i i don't remember none of that um which is kind of good sometimes yeah, yeah landed fair on my head and um uh, as i say like i don't remember Anywhere in there, I don't remember a helicopter ride. I don't remember being in a plane. Um, I vaguely remember starting to come around as they were kind of just loading me into a um, into a meat wagon, pretty much. And a wambulance. A wambulance, wham. And, um, yeah, whammy. And um, uh, then what, yeah, like, so then I, I started to feel like a little bit of pain and just said, hey, like, they started to drive down the road, and literally I thought they were driving the Fink track here in Australia, and I was just like, what the hell are you guys doing? Where am I going? And I just asked for a bit of pain relief, a bit of painkillers, jabbed me in the arm, and then, yeah, like I say, I woke up the next day, and the surgery was done. So Fuck. Yeah, exactly that word. I've yeah, <laughs> got no idea on any of so it. So you remember being in the ambulance yeah. super quickly, and yeah. then going, oi, I'm pretty sore. Yeah. And then next day, surgery. So you had... No control over the surgery, they, no like consent forms, nothing. Just wake up, medals in your leg, massive scar, and you have no fucking idea where you are. Pretty much, to my knowledge, I don't remember any like giving consent to nothing. Like it, I, I probably, maybe you did, maybe I did. I don't know. Like no, no one could really speak English there, so it was like, hey, uh, I woke up after the surgery, and the doctor's standing above me, going, ah, uh, very bright, uh, uh, Toby, very good job. And I'm like what the freaking hell, what do you mean a good job, what have I done, like, and yeah, he could have cut my leg off, he could have took my kidneys, he could have done Dude. whatever, I wouldn't have even had a clue, like, because it's, it's a third world country, like, yeah, and it's not, it's not being a dick saying that, like, it's legitimately just a third world country, yeah, no, it's not being mean, or not being cruel to the country, like, they're in hard times, and yeah, it's a third world country, and like, literally the hospital I went into, I would rather go to a, a CNC machinery shop and get cut up on a bench that they've been using with a water jet <laughs> with a water jet and frigging yeah like making parts for the last 25 years like i literally the the, the like it's not knocking the whole hospital or the doctors or anything like i, I like i've got no recollection recollection of all of it but the the entry into the hallway for the hospital was like literally uh pavers and um uh, like a solid clean track down the middle and then like a pile of dirt like probably four or five centimetres each side like just pushed up like it's like they just come through with a little broom and just sweep left right left right where they're going to walk and just push it all up to the sides and that's that's about it like it's surprised I still got a damn leg left like and that's um. and um, so no one from KTM's able to get there because obviously it's only day four of the race see that's it it's day four of the race where I was at the hospital in La Paz was uh, day seven, which was our rest day. So I was still, like, I was, I was two days ahead in advance of them. So no one could fit in the helicopter or the, uh, the plane with me. 
so nobody come from KDM side with me. Um, had no pretty much translators, whatnot. I think the next day, the day I crashed, the next day another guy crashed and then came to the hospital and they had like a bit of, like they had a helper that come along and then they knew that I was in there and then started to come over and translate things for me. So the second day started to get bet- a bit better. But w- once I woke up from the surgery, I was asking like for a bottle of water or like something to eat, something, anything. Like I was just, I was starving. I did, I I like like I crashed it. I think like twelve one o'clock two o'clock that that day previously. Um, I wouldn't have eaten that whole afternoon. The next morning, like pretty much, I think I woke up at like ten o'clock in the morning. So I was starving. I was thirsty. I'd been in on a special stage that previous day, like already burnt probably all my food and energy that I'd been trying to ride for and whatnot, and dehydrated myself or starting to dehydrate myself. And um, trying to catch up on that, which was, yeah, pretty pretty average and pretty shit thing. So, yeah, it was just, um, that's the thing. Like, it's no one, yeah, everyone just sees a rad, mad package of Dakar and they just show you on the 30-minute clip of the afternoon in here in Australia that they show you the highlights of just all the nice things of Dakar. Like, the race is amazing. It's a mad adventure, everything like that. But it's just, we hurt ourselves like that, like, we're we're literally like we're we're not like um supercross where they've got the asterisk medical crew yeah. that, that are there in 25 seconds to be at your side and help you like it literally relies off a gps tracker that then signals uh that you've been stopped for a bit that you've you've stopped for a minute that then sends a signal to uh, aso which is based in france so uh, a, a satellite signal goes to the towers up above across down to france and said hey this bike's not moving um then they try and make a call through me so there's a blue box it's a quaternary track system a blue box they can make a call to me and say hey you okay um and you can press a button on there and talk to somebody at this head office in france and then if you don't reply back or you don't say anything and then the bike doesn't move that's when a blades on a helicopter start moving so like in saying that like yeah we might have a helicopter above us in 30 minutes like so if you're there but if you so you broke your femur yeah you can you can bleed to death yeah you can bleed out from your femoral artery yeah so it's like 30 30 minutes is you're in trouble you're dead yeah 30 minutes can be dead just from a broken leg yeah so that's without even you know all that like you've broken your neck before yeah so it's like without even the other shit that could go wrong just your injury that you did have it could have been all over just from an artery bleeding out that's it like it it may not have just been from the broke i might have broke my leg and but then done internal injuries bleeding from the inside like it Mm. is there's so many ways you can whatever and how it can happen whatnot but yeah i don't know when you throw your leg over the bike you don't even think you're just of that. not even you never that. think of that shit so it's just all you want to do is get on the bike and ride as fast as you can and hang off it and um have a good time pretty much but uh yeah that's it like it's it's a scary thing like um supercross motocross all these guys like yeah they 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 do amazing things on bikes they get paid big dollars but, but they're like, pussies is what nah. you're saying. That's what you're saying, really. No, hell no. Like, <laughs> they're never pussies, but like, like I say, they're going to have like help there in 30 <sighs> seconds to... Yeah. Like, if they're in a life-threatening situation, um, they've got pretty damn decent odds. Like, we've unfortunately, motorcycle racing, there's been a lot of accidents and a lot of people passing away in our sport, and that's... We take the good with the bad, and it's it's never never nice to see that, and, and the whole racing community comes together and, and mourn that for sure. But those guys have got... 
like yeah, people on. They've got stuff. backup. They got backup. Like they're yeah. like in like because so just logistically they can. They just that's it. Well, when they're not racing out in the middle of nowhere. Like it's yeah, it's in stadiums. It's in like pretty much LA, LA and, capital you know, cities, yeah. whatnot, and it's it's right there and accessible. So we're yeah, two, three, five, six hours from like many main capital cities and stuff like that. So. We injure ourselves. It's definitely a helicopter or a plane ride to get out of there and try and get to safety. And um, yeah, for sure, if you got to lay in the desert for like that picture I just showed you, I don't know how long I was laying there. I've got no recollection of it, so yeah. I've got no idea. I could have been there for twenty minutes, or I could have been there for an hour and fifteen minutes. Like it's just it's one of those things. But um, that's the most dangerous part to our sport, and that's what people kind of they kind of oversee that stuff as well a little bit on top of all the. How, yeah, like you say, there's no sleep and altitude and um, you try and function at 4,000 metres. Um, you basically have a 450cc bike that turns into a 65. And Is that, like, go- how slow does that bike feel when it's up that high? I think, like, I think they're saying, like, we're with a 450 um, rally bike for us. I think they're, we're getting, like, about 62 to 63 horsepower. I, I'm pretty sure they said that drains it back to about a 48, 50 horsepower bike. So that's like, like like it literally just it, like it's like a, a 250 f pretty much or like pretty a, much yeah like yeah. A, a and then with all that weight on it like a stock 250 stock 250 with a bike that weighs probably 180 to 190 kilos yeah because so, then like you've got to yeah you really have to factor in the weight because if you're say you're in a sand dune on a 250 hmm. that power can barely be enough to pull the bike with that weight that's like what 110 kilos, Five, 10 kilos yeah yep, yep. so then you double that like so your power to weight instantly goes to half versus so you're basically on like a 150 pretty much like it, it that's not like enough yeah it's not enough for a big bike like that let's make it, can we just make these things go faster <laughs> or how's it work and that's it you just want the thing to go and take off and go more and more but it's like um if uh like a stage in bolivia we take off in first gear um and like literally you are wide open, full throttle, um, flogging the shit out of a clutch, and it, like the bike's barely struggling to take off. Like it's fuck, it drains it that much. Like and that's then like saying like yeah, it's 180. Just say it's 180 kilos for the bike. Yeah. Myself, I'm 95 kilos on my own plus myself geared up. 115, plus the mullet. Plus that because that's way longer than it was last year. So we have to at least give that a bit of consideration. Yeah, yeah that's it. She's coming through right now. It's, it's going to be in fine form, flapping in Dakar this year. But mud this flap, might be the first year we're going to be able to see your mullet from the chopper. Mud flap is going to be on point. So, but yeah, that's it. Like once you throw me on it, that's 300 odd kilos um, in total that you're trying to do 160, 70 kilometers through the desert, and then when you get bucked in a split second like you're on you're on for the ride of your life like it's like trying to save well that was was it beretta that crashed had that huge one on the honda um yeah no that was was oh that's right dude that thing just talk off good luck see you yeah it was like 360 damn it oh that was massive and that that was in a blink of an eyelid like he was lucky not hurt and he's a good rider yeah yeah he's a good rider but there's something like his size, yeah, for sure. He stands next to me and, like, he's up to my shoulder height. Like, yeah. he's like, a bit of a small guy. So, he's standing up um, and looking like he's still sitting down. But, um, for sure, he can ride a bike. He's damn strong and can hang on to that thing. And Not scared, obviously. Not scared, but he just couldn't quite hang on to that one. She was a bit too violent. Um, so, the, we'll get back into the hospital. Yeah. Um, you do the first surgery. And 
like what do you know like what you know what i mean like what do you sort of do you start thinking like when did you get to talk to maddie for the first time what's the thing um um i because everyone's kind of like we were just in the dark yeah that's it and that's 100 like you're like oh yeah toby's out and you're like what the fuck does that mean what is yeah what's happened where is he where is he what's he doing like what's what what's he broke or what is he alive is he you, you really get no information so um virtually i must have like they must have brought me out of surgery at like four o'clock or something in the morning um and so the doctor was tired good yeah good, so the doctor good. was in fine form he was ready for a surgery <laughs> you'd be like wait mate just go home have a sleep i'm tired you're tired let's just yeah i, I still had i had no say in that so i don't remember oh, even being in there or nothing so they, they just made an absolute call of it themselves and whatnot. bring him in from the pub like mate we got a bloke here with a broken femur i know you're out with the missus and you've, yeah. you've had a How couple many cocktails you had? Like, yeah. you had four beers yeah no you'll be sweet mate just have a crack four or it. five Four or five, yeah. I've lost count. So it's like, yeah, they um, woke me up like four o'clock or something in the morning. And then like, I'd, I've got no recollection of waking up in the morning and then, or that time. But apparently I made a call to Maddie, um, which she kind of looks after all my stuff back here in Australia and um, keeping track of everything and keeping everyone informed of what's going on. I've, um, uh, yeah, just from all the anesthetic and whatnot they've given me, I've, they could have injected me with anything over there. I still wouldn't, still don't know. But apparently, I rang Maddie and just started abusing the hell out of him and just saying, <laughs> "What the? F- am I? Where the hell am I? Like, I don't know what the freaking hell's going on. Like, blah blah blah. And like, but I, I didn't have my phone. Like, like I say, we, we're not allowed to take my phone. I'm not allowed oh. to take my phone on me and stuff. How'd so, you get Maddie's number? I honestly, that's what I mean. I do not know anything like literally I, then, then the boys told me i'd done a, a facebook live video and stuff but oh i um, do remember the facebook you're oh, off your tree i was on i was i was in cloud nine mate like it was the best best place ever he loves, he loves into the nurses, <coughs> the nurses facebook account. yeah that's right that's right yeah i, I stole the nurse's phone <laughs> Um, I, oh, I don't know if I stole mate. I'm, I'm, borrowed I'm gonna it. say you I borrowed, it. borrowed it. You so borrowed it. <laughs> didn't steal it. I just borrowed it. But like I say, I can sit here right now and I can't tell me. I can't tell you my password to my Facebook. So I'm like, how'd you do it? Yeah, I just don't, a fluke. I just, don't, just like a fluke somehow. Just full just, muscle memory. Just <laughs> yeah, it just must have been that. Like I've used it that much. That much. Like I've just I know the finger pattern of what it was. Logged in my Facebook and then just done my Facebook live video. Got no recollection of it. Like I woke up at 10 o'clock that, that day then when I started to kind of come around and go, what the hell's going on? And then I log in. And I must have got the phone back from him and then I log in my Facebook. And then next thing he's like friggin' 45,000 notifications. And I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, yeah, people know and I've crashed and I'll click on it. And next thing... <laughs> Here's this dirty old video of me and like friggin' high as a kite and just enjoying life and didn't really care about nothing and hadn't even broke nothing and um That's so weird. Don't eh? remember none of that. And then then I Apology to Apology Australia. Apology to Australia. Because I let everybody down. They were riding on there on the back of that bike with me and I just failed. <laughs> it's like, 
Yeah, so I'm like, Robbie Gordon there, was there in the race, so he was like, um, no, sorry, he wasn't there in the race that year. It was the year before that I won, but so yeah, he he was then like in contact with Maddie, just saying, hey, what the hell's going on? We need to get the hell out of there. Like it's just it's a third world because Robbie and, Robbie's really good like that, eh? Yeah, Robbie's really like far out. Like I've got some pretty rad people connections in the car side of community and stuff, and Robbie Gordon's one of them, and. Um, yeah, he's just yeah, he's a badass. He's a legend, and um, yeah, so he's he's got in contact with Manny and just said, hey, if you guys don't sort some stuff out in the next few hours, like we like need to get him out of him. Like he's he's in some trouble. Like it's not not a place to be. Um, it, wasn't it the highest hospital on planet Earth? It'd be, it would have to be somewhere closer in there. Like it's easily like three and a half thousand meters and stuff. So like. Yeah, you're not getting the best oxygen. You're not getting like, like literally, I was laying in a bed trying to sit up, and like I was struggling. Like I felt like I was out of breath and struggling to breathe. And everyone was the same. Like they'd walk up the road to come see me at the hospital and whatnot. Like once everyone started showing up, and they were like rocking up, like they would just run a marathon and stuff. So it was yeah, that and top of everything else that was going on was pretty pretty average and shitty. So uh, Robbie Gordon was like in touch with Maddie, saying, "Hey, you're not talking to Toby." Like he's I've spoke to him and saying, yeah, you haven't heard from him and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, so then Maddie's saying, yeah, I've heard from him. And then then when Maddie asks me, it must have been like, he's like, have you spoke to Robbie? And I'm probably telling him no. Like I was just in a hole. Just out of it. I was just out of it. Like I, I really, really had a damn decent head knock. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, there's not much between the ears, but there must have been something that day. But um, then on top of that, I, can't, yeah. I still just can't believe you borrowed a nurse's phone and somehow <laughs> remembered to log into your Facebook and apologise to Australia. Apologise to Australia. Yeah, first things first. First things Australia first. Australia, I fucked up. I've messed up. I've <laughs> really done some shit things in my life, but that was like on top of my list and that was the one thing I had to apologise about. So, Gosh. Um, yeah, and, like I said, on top of that, I just rang Maddie and I was just abusing the hell. I'm like, hey, get me the frigging hell out of here. Like, this is just, well, I don't know what the hell I'm doing and blah, blah, blah. And like... Everyone's been dicks to me, and this is bullshit. It's just not not the right thing. So, um, and because like, so the no, no one could speak English either. Nah, nah. So like, you didn't even know. Did you see the X-rays though? Because when you sent us the X-rays, your leg actually looked pretty good after surgery. Yeah, that's it. Like they they showed me the X-rays and stuff. So after then, I just I started to realize what what damage I'd done and whatnot, um, which is probably like about the lunchtime of that next day of like being there and whatnot. Um, but yeah, like for the damage that was done and how bad I broke my leg, so pretty much what the doctor said it was like I uh, didn't like my bone didn't just snap, it didn't break. It just basically it's like I landed on my knees and then just like compressed it, it just that like, hard. It just yeah, like it, just it, shattered. It, it shattered and blew out like and it, like blew it into four bits. So. Had the two main bits of the bone, and then it just like splintered two other big bits out. So then it was like kind of like a jigsaw puzzle to put them put yeah. it back together and whatnot. But um, yeah, looking at the surgery and stuff, like hey, they've done a pretty damn decent job. And um, yeah, for like being in a third world country, it was like yeah, okay, I'm kind of happy. I'm in a shit ton of pain, but um, yeah, it looks good, looks decent. Um, but then I was like, well, we just have to wait till I get back to Australia somehow, um, whenever that does happen. And because um, you've got no idea of like how or when you're even getting home. No, 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 no. I had no idea when I was getting home, when I could get out of there. I don't know when the do- like the hospital would release me. Literally, I was just trying to get released on the first probably thirty seconds of opening my eyes because I just I 
yeah, must just I knew where I was and I knew I was in trouble and had no one around me and no mates, no friends, no like team, no nothing. So it was um yeah, just pretty much went into overdrive and survival mode and just like yeah, get me get me on a plane home. But um yeah, just had to kind of be careful. Apparently the surgery took a fair while and uh, I lost a bit of blood during the surgery and um my blood count went down a fair bit and um and then basically it turned it into um yeah uh, apparently i had like one or two seizures or something um Damn. like when i woke up or something so like i say I, they didn't speak english so i they just they they told me something about seizure and then i was just hoping that the yeah, okay, was half decent. hopefully that just means success in bolivia so, so yeah exactly then that was about it but uh yeah it ended up being like yeah apparently i was i was back in the room in the hospital bed and yeah i had like a slight seizure and stuff and a bit of a fit like carrying on and whatnot so waking up um yeah probably not too many people in australia know but it's um yeah i had a bag of bolivian blood so i do have a little bit of extra in me now so i'm not so you're like so does that mean you got you just get a visa now to go back to yeah, do I'm dakar 100 i'm gonna like you're basically a citizen i may as well i may as well try and claim one so i actually just went to the gym before at elevation gym here in gold coast and like felt like i haven't really been able to do too much the last 10 11 months and um, my oxygen percentage rate was pretty tip-top shape. So that's like, Bolivian altitude so blood. Bolivian altitude blood. It may have come from goat or... Yeah, you don't goat, know where it came from. Don't know from. where it came from, but... Um, hopefully it was red. Uh, yeah, just hopefully it was red, and I'm pretty damn sure it was. So I've got a bit of memory on that, but... Yeah, unfortunately, um, I still do claim myself as a full Australian, but it's, there's somewhere else in there. There's a little bit of um, some other stuff. A little bit around. of weirdness. A little bit of weirdness. When did, when did Rodney rock up? Rodney Rude. No, okay. Rod. Who's Rod? Fagner. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, next day, he was... Um, he Because that was pretty lucky. Like, that probably is what really kept you sane, because... Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. he crashed out as well. No, he didn't crash out. Um, something went wrong with the bike. Oh, uh, okay. He sheared, like, a counterweight or something off the motor, and they couldn't change it, couldn't do it, and they're not allowed to change anything in it. Uh. So, that just kind of killed his race, and he was, like, four or five hours out for that day. And then to change the motor, you get like another hour or an hour and a half, two hour penalty or something. So it was like... Yeah, just cooked his whole race. Just cooked his whole race and it's just not worth even trying to line back up and hook into it. So, um, yeah, we... Um, yeah, I pretty much got kissed by an angel really that day. Um, that uh, Rod, How happy were you to see him? <laughs> not only was I happy to see him, but just to see another Australian um, yeah. that actually could just... We could speak normally in our normal, fast, crazy language and whatnot. It was, um, yeah, I was, yeah, like I say, I, yeah, could if I could have stood up, I would have jumped and bloke and hugged him. So it was, um, yeah, it was not a good result for him. I never wanted him to bomb out of the race or whatnot. But like, yeah, for sure, it, he kind of pretty much saved saved the day and saved my next few days. If he was like bringing food from his hotel, which actually was pretty damn decent food. So hospital food there, not too good. Um, but yeah, he, um, was bringing some food from the hotel and kind of looking after me. Um, yep. Yeah, just making sure everything was good. And if I needed anything and just would chill in the hospital with us and have, yeah, we could have a chat and talk, whatever. So, uh, yeah, without Rodney being there, it would have been, um, would have been torture. And then, so how long did it take for you to get from there to Australia? Uh, so I think I was in the hospital over there for six, six or seven days. Uh, I no, I left probably, I think it was at two, three days before the finish of the race. So, must have been only, 
Yeah, it would have been like about five, six days. So left from there. Um, oh, man, I had like the worst. Been in those shitty countries that will... There's bad countries where we are. Um, not knocking anywhere, but it's like literally. It's like, just it's just the whole the whole process of trying to get infrastructure of the countries of the aren't great. Com- yeah, like compared it. to here. Yeah, compared to here, like living and whatnot here, it's just the infrastructure of everything there. It's like for me to get out of La Paz, it was like a flight to somewhere in friggin' um, in Argentina, from Argentina then to Chile, Chile to Sydney, Sydney back to Brisbane, and then that was my flight home. Like it was, and with a broken leg and trying to get through there. Freshly broken leg. Freshly broken leg. Nice thing in a good old rod in there, and um, some uh, painkillers and a um, bit of uh, some blood thinners, and um, away we went. So it was just torture. And then literally, when you landed, we drove straight to hospital here. Yep. Yeah. So it wasn't even like, oh, good, I'm home. It's like, oh, hey, Maddie, hey, Jace, hey, let's Maddie, go to the yeah. hospital. Let's uh, load me up in this uh, old Mitsubishi Triton and get me straight to a hospital here. So it was like, I was literally touched down at like probably I think it was like seven o'clock in the morning, and I think I was at another hospital here in Australia by eight thirty. So it was like, get my get my bags, get through customs and stuff. Like because then like uh, Rodney was still there with me, whatnot. He brought all my bags out and stuff to you guys, and then um. Yeah, away we went to uh, see what the uh, old final... Like what actually happened. What actually yeah. happened and the final result on everything and where we were situated if my life was over or if we had a chance of doing whatever again. So uh, straight to a hospital here and um, in Brisbane and uh, got checked out. And actually, surprisingly enough, um, yeah, I was in a fair bit of decent shape. The doctor said there that the job they had done looked pretty damn decent and um, couldn't complain at all and... I think that day actually you ro- rocked up with a little bit of a temperature and stuff, or you actually wanted your blood, know, yeah. you wanted your friggin' say. blood pressure done. This bloke, say. he's like the tightest, tightest ass ever in the world. He can talk his way into anything, steal it out, anything out of anybody, and then he rocks up on my side of my card of my payment and says, "Hey, excuse me, can you uh, check my blood pressure?" It's like. <laughs> Mate, like um, I'm here, like half uh, my leg cut off. <laughs> they just said you were good, and I was like, "Well, shit, I need some stuff done. We're already here. Like, why do two trips?" Like, oh, I was gonna yeah, say, yeah. This "Why is, do two trips?" Yeah, I was Save gonna say, money this, again. "This is the I knew you'd Tied say ups. it." Is this is the Gypsy Tales podcast? Is that your favourite Gypsy moment of all time? Me asking. So let's let's lay it out. I just had three kidney surgeries, and the big worry was my blood pressure. And Mum was going. Go and get your blood pressure check. Go and get your blood pressure. So he I was got like, his violin out and just no, I just said, I just saw it up a tip. I saw the machine and I went, "Look out! Here we go. This will shut mum up." And uh, on on Toby's dime, mate, got me blood pressure check. There's that many stories of you just being the yeah, ultimate gypsy. The ultimate gypsy of just that's why I got the clinging, Gypsy Tales podcast. Just clinging on to anything and whatever's there, and that's yeah. Now, now in a freaking podcast with you makes it work, but Gy- yeah, gypsy tails. That that is a good gypsy tail. I was like, oh, Toby's going to keep his leg. He's going to be out of race. Oh, he's safe. Okay, well, check okay, my cool. Now, so, uh, yeah, now, now, I, I need a bit of help. Yeah, now let's just see if the kidneys working. Cut all the cues of everybody lining up out there for hours. That probably actually could have maybe been like in a bit of life threatening situation, and you're just worried about your blood pressure. Well, you could have been in a life threatening situation too. So, but. Just right. cut cues and just pushed everyone aside. That's the gypsy, mate. That's King the... Jason's coming through. It's and, the gypsy. Uh, just check my blood pressure for me, eh? Hey, and we were both fine. We were. But I was pissed off at the parking. 
So yeah, it did cost me something. Down. It did cost me something. I walked back and I'm like, can you believe how much parking is It cost here? him $16, for Christ's sake. And he comes out and he goes, just got a free blood pressure check that would have probably cost him 55, 60 bucks, and he's complaining of $16 for I parking. I thought it was a bit much. Isn't this supposed to be a yeah. hospital? Far out. Yeah, well, what happens if you're sick and poor? Yeah, well, <laughs> then, you're in just, then you're in big trouble. Exactly, but... So when did when did the uh, I knew you were going to mention that that's one of me that's one of the favourite stories I've got with Tobes. There's a few, There's a but lot. Um, when uh, how long did it take? Because so that was January, and here we are in November. So I think it was like Gen- the, I think it was January six that I broke the leg. So I was just, started January three. When did you figure out it was three. shit? It wasn't yeah, getting January better. January six. Um, so January 6th was when the surgery happened. I was basically there for five days in Bolivia. Then got home. I think I got home here in Australia by like, um, what would have been like 9th, maybe 8th or 9th, 10th or something of January. Straight to that hospital there, whatever, whatnot. Everything was good, in a good way, good shape. Um, so then just basically was ice packing and stuff, just trying to get the swelling down from the long flight and um, still on the blood thinners and everything just to try and, so I didn't get blood clots and whatever. And then... Um, uh, what was it? I think it was, uh, ended up being like two weeks later. I was, um, Maddie come down one morning, um, at that stage because Maddie was living with me in the house and everything. Uh, he come down one morning and here I am perched up on a stationary cycle bike and, um, inside the house and just looking out over the water a bit and, um, just trying to wind the leg over and get it going. So he's just like, what the hell are you doing? Like, I'm like, well, I've got to get ready for J- J- Dakar in 2018. So what, what else is there to do? Like I... That's where, like I say, that's that five to seven day period in there that you you hate motorcycle racing. But then, like I say, I was home, back in my own comfort zone, missing bikes, still watching the Dakar race as it going along. And I'm at home just going, well, my life just ended. But all right, sweet. I've got to get ready for next year. So straight on the bike. And 360 days till next year's hockey tryout. It's got yeah, to toughen up. Got to toughen up. I'm standing in that little ring and just get freaking <laughs> softballs like thrown at me. So... Um, yeah, I, it was basically then on to, um, yeah, on the bike and just, just like, hey, I wasn't standing up on the leg and punching out big watts and whatnot. It was just... Just movement. Just movement, just trying to wind the leg. I, like, literally, it felt like my knee had been locked up and all the muscle had just been torn and stretched and contracted and just had no movement in it. So it was just, like, like literally the first probably... 40, 50 minutes was just like going like halfway just backwards and forwards because the yeah, knee just wouldn't even like loosen it up. Just loosen up. The knee wouldn't even bend that much to actually do a full rotation on the pedal. So um, that was pretty much my first day. Second day came down to the same thing and was like just kind of starting to get to that nearly that full range of a whole motion and whatnot. And I think by the third day, I started to get like the muscles to free up a little bit and I was starting to get rotation just like lowest possible gear you could possibly do and and literally you could have like put your finger on the pedal and just like push it push it around so it was no weight no nothing um so i did that for the next couple of weeks just trying to free everything up um so yeah i was straight back into it really and just trying to get ready for yeah for dakar 2018 but like when did you because where what 10 months later and you've literally just had a ride without pain so it's been it's been a huge process so when did so like when you got back to australia went to hospital they're like oh yeah no nah, it's all good you just standard femur recovery time start your rehab yep but then when did you realize that it was no good was it but when you went out to try and ride fink 
Yeah, pretty much. Like but you had like a lot of pain that whole time, right? Yeah, I had a lot of like I had a bit of pain. Like it was, it was like that um, that period there where I started to get the leg to wind over and starting to get it to free up. Yeah, for sure, it was not not the greatest, but my re- it felt like my recovery period started to really spike and was making big progress. I'd starting to get a little bit of pressure on. Um, so probably by f- March, I I. End of February, start of March, I was able to start like getting a bit of pressure on the leg and start walking and um, still on a single crutch and whatnot, um, just doing bits and pieces and everything. And then um, pretty much I was on that for a couple of weeks. And then the actual leg felt not too bad. Like I'd still had a little bit of pain, but it was like it was it was kind of like bearable. Like I'd, I'd you just I, thought it was like normal. Just thought it was normal. Like literally like a cramp hurt cramp hurt more than what it was. Like it was just just how it was. And I was like, ah, oh, well, it's. Yeah, it's like two months later, really, from from the race, and we're making good progress. Everything's good. If we can, in four months' time, if it's double this again, like we'll be damn close. And then in six months' time, hey, we might be damn close to racing Fink. So I was like, just keeping on, continuing on with this, and we're still climbing, still climbing, feeling really good, feeling really good. I went and did a a race. Like by the time uh, Clipsal came around, like in March, middle of March. The leg started to feel like not too bad. I was still limping and whatnot, which is fair enough. I just broke my leg and pretty biggest bone in the body, but um, I was still able to walk and like um, drive a car like a normal day here in Gold Coast. It was no drama. It didn't really. It was like a, just a bit of a sharp stabbing pain. Racing trucks and stuff. I was hooking in doing that, and there was no pain launching around tracks doing that stuff. But yeah, as, as I walk along, like it was just a little bit of a sharp stabbing pain more so on my knee like it was not the femur i didn't feel any pain in the femur i didn't have no dramas there it was just it was it felt like i tore the muscles in my knee so it was like uh like ligament damage and whatnot in my knee but um kept going along uh by may i think it was about may um i thought yeah we're getting getting pretty damn close things coming up like the legs not too bad yeah for sure i'm in a bit of pain but I'd raced Fink once before, one pretty much one leg. I'd put yeah, the a stick. year before you broke your foot real bad, eh? Yeah. Or two years before. Two years before. So, um, yeah, the year before that, I'd won pretty much and then we got second in the trophy truck, um, whatever. And then, um, yeah, the year before that, I put this decent old big stick through the Tech 10 boot and um, seriously so damn lucky that the thing didn't pierce through my leg and take my whole ankle out. Like, it just somehow slid up through the side and then just pushed my foot to the side and just went straight to the back of the boot and then just pretty much scratched me up the side but like i ended up breaking a small bone in i i can't remember the name of tell us five or whatever it is so it's a small bone on the outside of the foot the one that runs along there and um that year still yeah i ran still ran fink and still won basically standing up on one leg which was on the leg that i broke this year so I was like, hey, yeah, for sure. There's like a first first section of it. it's not too bad. I can get through that. It's basically from like the 100-kilometer mark to about 170, 80-kilometer mark where it's going to be tough. But yeah, hey, I've still got my right leg, and I'll just kind of balance a bit on that bit more and protect the left leg and um, get going and cruise along. And then when I went out to think to try out and try it and just, yeah, the first 80Ks was... We'll overlay some footage of Fink so people get a perspective of just how gnarly, how slow it is, how yeah, gnarly yeah. <laughs> that race is. Like it is stupid how rough that track is and how fast you can go on it. Yeah, hundred percent. Like it's what I would not ride a five hundred as fast on a tarmac road 
as you ride on that track. Like it is bullshit. Yeah, like it's a it's a dumb, crazy, stupid race. But like, there's something about it though. Eh? It's just something about it. It's just like something just keeps drawing you back. It's a 230 kilometer race each way. So you race down one day, race back on the same track, the opposite direction, back into Alice Springs, and then um. Like I say, I do 230 Ks roughly in an hour and 53 minutes is my quickest time. So I think that averages out at about 125, 27 kilometers an hour average with two fuel stops of about 15, 20 seconds. Um, Which to uh, people in America that are watching, that's like an average of about 78 to 80 miles an hour average. Which is illegal on a fucking freeway. Which is illegal on a freeway, yeah, 100%. (laughs) So when you start really breaking it down, you're like, what? Yeah, and there's stupid. holes as big as your waist. Yeah, some there. You well, you don't want to be down in them, so you just try and end up being like a set of supercross whoops and skimming across the top of them at 140, 50 k's an hour. So it's um, but you throw me on a supercross track and I will literally shit myself at a set of those whoops that are yeah. Would yeah, you do out, you hit? Have you ever hit a set of well? Yeah, you, you used to race supercross, but like, race a bit of supercross, but would um, you would you shit yourself on a set of supercross? No, nah, I reckon mm. you'd I reckon you'd send it. I'd have a crack, but I don't know how it'd end up. Like, I'd, I'd probably have the first four or five, not too bad and sorted, but I think if I got halfway and got a little bit of a huckabuck and sorted me out a little bit, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, just two different things. It's just... Um, just I, like I, a comfort zone. Just a comfort zone thing. Like, come out of a like a, a sharp, like, well, like 90 degree or 45 degree turn or 180 degree turn um, into a set of whoops and be fourth gear out of a turn and just, like, literally straight up on top of a set of whoops. I like to have a run-up. Like, I, I like to have 200 metres and then click six gear. And then, yeah, I don't know. I, I, it, it's a crazier situation to be in. But that's, I don't know. Just, I just yeah, I just like that. And that's feel, just where yeah. I feel comfortable. That's where I feel at home. So, it's, um, yeah, it's a crazy race. Bit of fun. Um, like I say, yeah, it's, yeah, you pretty much, yeah, you can't even drive that fast on a freeway anywhere. And um, becomes, yeah, a shit ton of fun out there. So, it's... Uh, uh, I tried to ride there and whatnot, and then it was just all starting to realize. So you knew like straight away your knee was done. Yeah, that's it. Like in the like I said, the first eighty k's was not really. It's more square edge, choppy, shitty bumps. Like I thought, yeah, I'd, I'd be able to be no dramas through there. And like in yeah, the first eighty k's, I was literally I was I was I was struggling and up shit creek, and then I was hitting the whoops and was starting to get a fair bit out of shape because I couldn't really put any pressure through the leg. And, um, yeah, started to realise it was getting a little bit dangerous. So I was uh, hung the helmet up on that idea. Um, then, yeah, I was basically just sitting back at the room starting to work out that, yeah, there's, uh, maybe there's, something, there's something going on. Like, it's, okay, maybe not enough time. Maybe another month or two, it'll, it'll pick up and we'll see how we go. So, um, yeah, then I threw, threw all our boys pretty much into a bit of a deep end of everything. Oh, because for that year again... Um, this year at Fink, we're trying to run the plan of doing both uh, bike and truck again. So the year what I'd done before, winning in the bike class and then finishing second outright um, in a trophy truck and first in class in the trophy truck. So I almost got the three ones. Um, yeah, but didn't didn't quite happen. Um, so I was setting a plan of trying to do that again this year. And um, yeah, and then once the kind of the helmet come off for the bike and just said, yeah, that wasn't going to happen. I was like, oh, well. The leg's not too bad. I can drive a truck. I've been doing it like at the stadium super truck stuff with Robbie Gordon and everything. So I um, still kept myself signed up for that, ready to go. And um, yeah, then got thrown another bit of a curveball with that. We uh, The truck we're going to hire and, and, and race the event in, which is the same one I was racing in the last year, before. year, year before. Um, some, yeah, some things happened there and whatnot. And then um, 
that truck uh, then then didn't become available um the owner was then going to drive that truck and he'd sold his other one off and um yeah being the racer and whatever that i am i was like i can't miss out like i'd I hate sitting Because you'd already had to miss out on the bikes and then all the yeah. other, all the world stuff. So, like, all you'd done is miss out on racing. All I'd done is pretty much failed at, failed at Dakar and then I just started missing world championship rounds. I'd failed getting back on the bike at Fink. Um, I was like, damn, I, I can't fail at something else. Like, I'm literally, this is tearing me apart. And, like, it's, like you said, come back to that thing of 2016 was the highest year of my whole career and things were just perfect and great and then it just went to a steep decline and just everything was crumbling around me and um and then it just compounded like it wasn't just the femur then it was the bike and then it was the knee and then it was like the car getting pulled out from under you yeah so it was just yeah it just came back to that point where it's just mentally draining and it felt like the the world was crashing around me and um yeah i uh kind of just said to the boys that do all my work, Matty and Dave and whatnot, I said, hey, we, YOLO. Uh, YOLO. We, uh, we can't miss out on this. And uh, what do we, I think at that stage when the truck got pulled, we were four weeks from the race um, from Fink. And normally, a, like a shipping container takes probably, yeah, I think uh, two, month and a half, two months or something to come over from the LA. And... Um, so, yeah, I was like, damn, I've got no option of doing that. I can't hire a truck in the States and ship it. Um, so then the, the idea kind of drifted off a bit. And then it was like another two days later, I was just like, nah, I can't miss out. Like, this is just driving me at the wall. Like, it, it, my whole, the whole year has just turned to chaos on me and turned to shit. And I um, pretty much just rang the boys and said, I don't care what you say. I'm, I'm buying a truck. Like, I just, I'm buying one and we will just air freight the thing. And, uh Literally, nearly as I made that kind of call, um, a guy here in uh, in Australia uh, that races the trucks, um, Billy Geddes, uh, one of his mates owned a truck as well. He just built it in the States. Um, to like uh, the Aussie spec, right? To the Aussie, to an Aussie spec. So it's 6100 class. Um, Corey Howe was the guy that owned it in, in, in the States. Um as I pretty much made the call, um, I, I rang Billy and said, hey, do you know of any trucks in the, stri- in, in the States that I can buy? Like, I need something like ASAP. Like, and he's like, dude, you're not going to get something here. Like, it's things four weeks away. Like, it, or at that stage, it was probably about three weeks away. And he said, like, you're not going to get nothing here. Like, you, you're dreaming. And I'm like, I don't care. Find me a truck. I'm air freighting something here. I don't give two hoots to it. Um, he's just, like, pretty much paused on the phone for about 15 seconds and just said, you're out of control like you sh- this is crazy and i'm like yeah well we whatever. need to do something whatever like just yeah. find me a damn truck and then as we pretty much made that call literally like it was like 30 minutes later um cory howe rang billy and said oh shit my new truck in the states just threw a leg out um put a hole in the bottom of the motor and so billy was like and then he was like in a bit of a toying idea of wanting to go a big full-size truck so the the truck that i have here is like a 6100 class in the states which is like a spec truck class um but it's as big as you want to go here in australia and um a full-size truck's probably another wheel width wide probably half a wheel width um more in length so it's a bigger stronger built heavier truck. just for like the big baja desert just races, big baja stuff, desert yeah. races. like literally a 6100 class truck does well but it's um the big ones that make all their bumps really damn small so they're the only one and they're unlimited motors so like they are some of them like seven I uh, know 
yeah, 7.2 litre or something like that, or just they just go bombing all out and make it a V8 twin turbo, friggin' whatever they want to do. So he was like, oh, you know, I've been toying with the idea. Like, this truck's fun, but I just now it's just threw a leg out, so I don't really know what to do with it. Should I then go and build a, a bigger motor for it and put in there? And then they're like, oh, the bigger motor in that size truck probably is not the best to be kind of doing in the States because it doesn't really have the wheel width. You start getting more speed. The truck won't handle quite as yeah. good. Because the bumps over there are huge. Like they're, they've been racing in those deserts for years and years and like the bumps, they don't touch tracks at all. And it's like Fink, but um, we're like, we're straight runs of getting on top. So we can get on top of the things really easy here because it's all fairly straight. Over there, it's like you've got a lot of turns and they, you, t- you go through some technical bits and uh, to try and get that truck back up on top of it, like it's going to be a little bit of a mish. And then once you get going, it's whatever. But the, the full-size trucks are really smooth on that um so then he was just basically like yeah i don't know what to do um might look at selling the truck or i might put a bigger motor in it and then billy's just like well funnily enough i had toby ring me and say he wants to buy a truck what would you want to sell it and um at that stage it had a blown motor in it so i was like okay it's a it's a brand new truck i think it only had like a thousand miles on the whole frame so um then pretty much being built from the ground up and then um I just pretty much just said to the boys, I don't know, well, if we can find a motor here that can fit pretty much slot straight into the thing and whatnot, um, we'll be good to go, full gas. And, yeah, we just pulled the trigger on it and just said, yep, yeah, let's make it happen. Um, yeah, so I threw it on a plane, threw it, brought it over here, and literally, like, it it left. Um, Enter one of the gnarliest two <laughs> weeks of our lives. There's another sleep-deprived time that we pretty much... I think it nearly felt like I was on a Dakar podium again talking crap. Dude, and, I've um, never been more pissed off over, like, dumb shit in my life <laughs> as I was by the end of Fink. Yep, 100%. That's, yeah, like you it, were there for the whole was pretty just, much build of it. It was so weird. Sleeping, like, not sleeping, sleeping at all. Sleeping on a concrete floor, like, sleeping in, deck, uh, like, camping chairs and... Literally sleeping for two hours, and it was, it was just like I was running a Dakar in, in a week. And, and it was, um, like, freezing cold. Yep. We'd know, like, we, there, were, yeah. there was, and it looked <laughs> like there was no hope, too. Nah. If, no. if we had, we're kind of fast-forwarding a bit, yeah. but if it felt like we had hope, we probably so, all would have been in better spirits. Yeah, yeah. But the amount of times where it was like, oh, well, we're done. Yep. It's nah, not good. It's, done. Like, it's literally come down Let's like a, home. an oil pump, or it came down to a position of a like a, an oil hose lead, or um, another lead uh, that was on the truck wouldn't reach the other side. Like it was like the back side of the motor was a, a like an oil breather that was on this side, so the um, on the motor that came out, but it was on the other side the other of the side. motor, and like the hose was literally like this too much short, and then it was like freaking hell. Like no one's gonna come here and build another, make another hose. We don't have hose. I don't have spare parts. And like. We're lucky. Bought the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life, but dude, yeah. there's a there's a photo. I'll try and find it and put it up on here of your face <laughs> when we pulled the motor out and the dejection of your like I've just wasted so much money. Yeah, <laughs> and then because like Maddie and David pulled sponsors because you've got it like that's the really rad thing I think about what you've done in the last couple of years, especially working with Matt and like his team and what they're doing is like the people that have come on board and the biggest challenge that people face in all motorsport and especially in Australia, because it's a way smaller pie to try and eat from mm. 
is getting non-endemic sponsors. Yeah. So it's easy to get a BF Goodrich or it's easy to get a, a you know, like an oil company or because yeah. they're in it, they've got something to gain out of it. But when you start getting like Blundstone, yep. Northern Territory Tourism. So like there was a group of really rad sponsors that's like, yep, Toby, let's go. Like whatever you want to do, let's we'll make it happen. make it happen and get it going, yep. But with that, you need a fucking truck on the start, <laughs> start, the start line. And then it was looking like every day we're getting a phone call from like Maddie and Dave, like, oh, these, these guys just come on board. You know, like all these sponsors, everyone's psyched and we're yep. just sitting in a workshop in just Maitland. Going, I'm hoping this is going to work. Just like, going like this. No, we're going, this isn't going to work. Well, it was it. Like it was like what, the morning would like, well, we didn't sleep. So it was like the morning would come around, would fix one problem. Like it was literally like... Yeah, we're working till two, three, four o'clock in the morning, and then like we'd find a problem at three o'clock and go. And you've just got nothing left to fix it. Damn, we've got nothing here, and like, okay, well, damn, we're gonna wait till nine o'clock in the morning till a business opens, that we can then go and get that part. So it was like, well, that's when we, the periods we we're trying to sleep and get a little bit of time in under our belt. But it was like, yeah, you'd find a problem at three o'clock in the morning, you just go, nah, that's it, we're done. Like it's not gonna happen. Then at like 7.30 in the morning, Maddie or Dave would ring and say, hey, yeah, we're, we're pumped. Like, we've got another sponsor coming on board. And you're just like, oh, just just, just chill a little bit. But it's cool we've got another sponsor, but we've run into this problem. And then it was like, we, we've got to try and fix this by 9 o'clock. If we can get it, then we might be able to get it back on track and get it going again. But we've just lost four or five hours of work period. We literally flew a dude from Melbourne to Sydney with an oil pump mm-hmm. and met him at the airport. Yep to get an oil like that's how that's how thin of a time frame we were working with that we couldn't even ship parts we had to ship people with parts yeah exactly we we shipped a guy from melbourne um with an oil pump because uh literally that was like nearly our last biggest problem we kind of had the oil pump that was on the motor wouldn't fit down into the side of the uh the engine bay system that was in it and then we had to buy another whole complete oil pump to then reverse mount it to put it at the front of the motor to then drive off the front pulleys to make the oil pump through the whole motor and stuff. But like like you say, we are running on such a short period And this of is time. like four days before the race, which was yeah. two days drive away. Yeah, yeah. So it was a two-day drive away. We still had two days of work on the truck. And you and had the race. Hmm. And like you got the least sleep out of all of us. Yeah, I was like, and I was, I was trying to make it work and get it to happen. We st- we stopped. So just to give people perspective, we stopped booking hotels mm. because we're like, we can't go. No, oh, yeah, we can't go. And we it's, can't it's get nothing. five minutes up the road, and yep. we couldn't even leave to go to sleep. Yeah, it yep. was it was sleep on the floor, sleep on the floor at the workshop at the workshop. On, towels r- rags that were working on the truck whatever like and then using like folding up t-shirts and stuff that we got from sponsors, sponsors that were yeah. jumping on board we're like, like taking a photo a of and... sponsors like oh we got like a thumbs up toby photo and then we're like all right cool let's use it as a pillow yeah, it was a pillow that was like it was just everything was just getting used and abused and like then yeah like i say it came down to that point where it's like the last kind of key to the puzzle was that oil pump and it was like shipping like on the road to get to where we were working on the truck from Melbourne would take a day, day and a half to, till it got in our hands. So I just like rang the dude and said, it's an $1,800 um, oil pump. And I said, mate, we need that thing in the next two, three hours. And he's like, ah, oh, well, that's not going to happen. Like, and I said, well, 
I've just booked you a flight on Virgin Australia. Get on this flight and we'll see you in Sydney and we'll pick that part up. And then fly straight back. And then I was just like, yeah, literally, you're going to land in Sydney and you'll be there for 40 minutes and you'll get back on the plane and go back to Melbourne. Thank you very much. Um, so I was trying to... I was, everyone kind of like, yeah, thinks I'm a really nice guy, but that whole week I was pretty much an asshole to everyone. It was like, I just need everything to happen. And, yeah, mate, you're going to do this like because I need you to do this. Like, it's just... It's no, yes, please, thank you, can you... Well, it was a lot of please and thank yous, but it was like... You need to be on this plane to bring that part to me. So it was like... This Otherwise, is how, everything stops. Everything stops. So it was just... It was chaotic, stupid, wild. Um, there's really no other word that would be in the dictionary to explain it. Um, just the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. But it was just like, I need... That's how much... I don't know. Like I, That I, was I, like just the result of all the frustration of failures. Just that, failures that, that first six months of the year. So it was just... That's how much, I don't know, I hope people just see that's how much I love motorsport racing. That six months of failures that were just turning my life upside down and up to shit. Like you're ready to financially risk everything just to get on a start line. It literally came to the point, if I didn't race at Fink, I would have been selling my house to probably put a little bit of money back in my bank to just kind of get by, really. So it was like, um, yeah, I went out in a massive damn old big limb and... um, uh yeah i was i was on that big limb that started at a really big trunk like this and i was standing on the tip of it it was like where the twigs are like it was just just stupid but uh, um yeah we literally got that truck start like yeah then the final part of it was like we couldn't get the thing to start like it was winding over it was pumping oil it was pumping like doing everything what we needed to do we were thought we had it in the right degree, right positions. We're checking everything. It's all runs a Motec. And the thing is that it. it's it's probably like a twenty five thousand dollar Motec system in this thing. And you you just people have to put into perspective how tired everyone was. Yeah, and we'll so like it you think about when you get grumpy when you like have to wake up early for a flight or something. Yeah, and like after over a week of no sleep, like just the brain wouldn't function like i was formatting my cards I was just angry when i was supposed I just, to like, like i literally like someone took 30 seconds to get me a bacon egg roll down at the server or when you didn't come back with a coffee at freaking if you went back in 45 seconds which was like probably a two minute drive up the road i knew it was a two minute drive but i was pissed off that you just weren't back and giving me a damn coffee i was just getting everything was just getting on edge and yeah it's never the best way to function 100 percent. like it's you've got to enjoy things that you're doing and having fun while doing it um but yeah it definitely was getting to that point where it was not fun like it, it just became a, i was over it, it. it was over it just a torture <laughs> it was just everyone was starting to get on the edge and we're starting to bite at each other a little bit and it was just like oh god i've just i've, I've really made some people a little bit upset at the moment including myself and i was upset at myself and others and whatnot and um then yeah like uh we had everything kind of in place all going ready to go and like first wind of the key like yep yeah, okay cool we got oil pressure up oh, perfect everything's good turn the ignition on bat just would not fire and i'm like far out like what's what's wrong now like it's just we we literally have seven hours until we need to be exactly on the road to otherwise it doesn't make it because then there's it there's the issue too that we had of the dudes driving the trucks, like with the laws that Australia has, like you just can't drive and drive and drive and drive. Like when you're in a semi, which is what we had to load, we, well, it wasn't a semi, but it was a big Hino. Yeah. We had to load it into this truck. 
if we didn't have two drivers, no, it, three it, drivers, three drivers, it couldn't have got there on time. So we no. had to find. So we had we had to find another driver to come. Otherwise, it was illegal to drive that far. Yeah, hundred percent. So it's like, like it wasn't even like oh, we can just we just won't sleep on the drive. That's like no, legally we can't yeah. get there without three drivers. We had this other motor sitting there, just thinking, okay, this thing's going to drop straight in. We'll have a motor change in two days and we'll be back on the road and full gas and rubbing your hands together and having a rad old time. We had, what well, the truck rocked up, I think was the, uh, what was it? I think it was the 28th or 29th of May. So we had like seven days of work on this thing. We're like, yep, sweet. Three days. That's heaps of time. That's yeah. heaps of time. We've got two, three days of work on it. We'll just switch this motor over. It'll just drop straight in. It'll start straight up and away we go. Shit didn't happen that way. And that was... One after a problem after another after another after another and it just all started to pile up and then well, literally I started out with one truck driver that that would have made it there on yeah because he four days work because he take his time like in Australia like you say the truck laws here we can only drive for I think it's ten hours or something he was telling me I was literally I was half asleep in front of him while he's telling me all these rules and stuff but yeah. so I wasn't really processing and listening to him anyway it was going over the head and trying to get stuff sorted but I had one truck driver. That would have made it there in four days and it would have, would have been perfectly on time. As soon as we hit that deadline, I had to find another driver. So I rang some other guy that had a truck license. I said, hey, mate, I'm going to have to hire you for the weekend. Um, is that all sweet? All good? Okay, cool. Yeah, no worries. All right, we're back on track. We can keep going. We can keep working. Da, 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 da. Um, if I couldn't find a second driver, um, that, that, that would have, we would have stopped on, I think it was the Tuesday. Um, early tuesday morning and then was uh once we got that truck driver, okay sweet we've got another two days we're all good we're full gas we can get into it and get going and then i think like by wednesday we're still a long way off so i was like uh we're we're, we're, we're in some trouble like it's it just this needs to happen i was one one of all of these days it was all it's still a blur to me now i still don't remember none of it really but we went past that deadline and i'm like Shit, now we need three drivers. now we need three drivers so i like had to find another guy and i said hey i'm gonna pay you to come and do this like it, it ended up being i had to pay three truck drivers um, then when that kind of deadline came, um, I, I, four drivers, like literally on four drivers, we still wouldn't even made it there. So it was, this was our last cutoff point, And then we were literally seven hours away from taking off, like trying to get this truck going. It's and sitting in a shed. That's to get there just to start prologue. Just to get start. So prologue. that's like literally that's factoring in the time to just get it there and then be yep. on the start line. Yep. Like, and that was... Basically, literally to get there on the Friday afternoon of getting through scrutineering to then prologue on the Saturday, race Monday. Which race we Tuesday. even asked them if we could scrutineer Saturday instead of Friday. Yeah, 100%. We were like, ringing that's everything. How. Like, how close we're getting to everything on the deadline. So, we um, this truck wouldn't start. So, then we're like, all right, sweet. Now, we're looking probably going to have to hire four drivers and just like risk it. And they, we're making calls to say, hey, can we just miss Friday night scrutineering? And... Um, hey, at the end of the day, if we miss uh, the, the Saturday morning prologue, can start we somehow last, can we yeah. get start last? Can we seat ourselves? Anything? We we're just asking heaps of questions to think: Can we get it to happen? So it was all said and done, though. But it was all said and How done. How good was it to drive your own trophy truck that you owned? Nerve wracking because I was like, yeah, I didn't want to roll this thing. So, but like, yeah, it was like the Trish truck wouldn't start. With then we had to ring friggin' we rang some dude in the states. It was like some Chinese dude. We didn't even never even met the dude. It was like eleven o'clock at night yeah, over there super for him. Late. Super late. We had our computer plugged in. We told him a code or something, whatever it was for our system. So he's sitting in America, typing in all these numbers. Like so, literally, the laptop was sitting on us here in Australia. 
we can see him moving the mouse around, changing all these numbers, changing this, changing that. And he goes, ah, oh, maybe I, I can see a problem here. Is a, this is here, this number's not right, blah, blah, blah. And this number's here aren't right. And I'll just change this and do this. And he's like, okay, hit the ignition and try and start the truck. And literally like in, well, probably I think it was like a five-minute call to a dude in the States and he just playing with a computer here. Bam, truck started. And we're like, Ugh. Weight just got lifted off. Well, then we had to get the truck to a dyno in, uh, I think it was Springwood somewhere. Because we Sydney. still didn't know if the thing would be fast enough to even be I'd, worth driving. It could have been 300 horsepower and I would have been really up. I would have been really disappointed then. like that's. Yeah, we, I didn't even know if the truck would run at a decent horsepower, if it would even last. Like it could have cooked itself on the frigging dyno. And then, um, yeah, from there, we got it basically to the truck uh, on the dyno, got it sorted, got it all passed. And then... Um, from there, it was just basically, yeah, okay, cool. We need to get it back in the truck. And we literally were like on an hour away from our deadline of having to get a fourth driver to get going out there. Um, and on that period too, it started pouring down rain and our ramps were like on the truck. The truck oh, was yeah. like parked on a bit of a side. This is how sleep deprived I was. Like literally, it was like nothing at all. And uh, it was raining, whatnot. And then I was loading the truck back up into the truck. Uh, the trophy truck back into the truck um, and the rain had pretty much got um, ramps a little bit wet got the truck just at the top of the ramps the rear wheels spun literally like the truck side guard hit the side wall of the truck this much and I lit I just thought my truck just burnt to the ground like I was just like yeah, I, you lost I, shit. I lost my shit hard so it was that's how much pain no sleep everything that we're in for that um, so then Loaded the thing up, tied it all in, sent it out. Um, it was on its way. So massive, 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 massive weight off our shoulder. It was like, I think we ended up getting like a 530 horsepower truck, I think it was, or something. Yeah, or something 510. Like 518 f- rings a bell. Yeah, five, I think it was, yeah, it might have been. So five, somewhere in there. Over 500 horsepower is not bad. Um, definitely not great. 600 or five, 550 would have been better, or 600 would have been better, and 700 or 900 would have been better, but... That's what we ended up with. That's what we had. Um, it was going to be something that would get the job done. You don't, yeah, always need. Sometimes more horsepower makes it a bit more different and yeah. hard and whatever. So we uh, then went back to a hotel. That was our first hotel. No, we, we stayed with Judd. No, that's right. We did too. Yeah, we're in, Shout we're out to Judd and his delicious caramel desserts. Yes, yes. And uh, he uh, looked after us, got us all in bed um, pretty much. Well, yeah, we crashed out really damn quick and hard. Then I think it wasn't a, an adventurous trip to the airport in the morning. I oh, we almost missed the almost flight. Almost missed the flight because we that damn sleep deprived. Oh. I was in the driver's seat. It's like, I probably shouldn't be admitting this like on this side of things, but like I was climbing gutters and I was like, I literally, yeah. I think we, we broke a lot of laws we to get there. We broke a airport. lot of laws that day, unfortunately. I will admit that and I feel really bad and... I don't condone it and don't do it, but I was like... We had to get that flight. We had to get that flight because it was just that was the flight we had to get. So um, I'd spent some money on those flights for everyone. I think it was like four or five of us flying out on that flight. So if we miss that, we're in some big trouble as well. So I never made that whole trip easy for us, that's for sure. And um, I don't know. The backpacker hostel was pretty fun. Oh, yeah. Hell yes. That was the parties they were throwing outside our room. That was so annoying. So it was um, with no sleep. Then we had backpackers just 
partying all night and we had because everything was booked out this is how late the thing thing was yeah. it's like every hotel was booked out every so we stayed at a backpackers backpackers hostel and it had <laughs> and it eight stunk. bunk beds in it and uh, there were so had many big stinky dudes in there eight big stinky dudes in that whole place and then um yeah so we we caught that flight got there um tell me about the race mate tell me about how good your car was was it fun to drive it was good shit yeah it was a hell of a lot of fun so Prologue was all, like, about to kick off, get going, stuff like that. Um, yeah, like, the truck, the motor was still wasn't quite as good as we'd want to hope and whatnot. But we actually had it stall a little bit. Like, I, I'd, I'd loaded it. Like, I was full gas coming into this turn. It was pretty much loaded full of fuel. I chopped off the throttle really, like, too much too hard. And, um, yeah, like, it stalled the motor. So, it was, like, when those things stall or a belt comes off as power steering, like, it's it's... There's really no word to try and describe how hard it is to steer this thing. Like literally, the steering wheel just locks. Like yeah. it just, you can't turn it. And all, and then all I could see was this small tree, shrub, bushish type. It was thing. a pretty big tree, really. Yeah, pretty much. Only took my co-driver out. Luke was, um, yeah, Luke was uh, the guy that was doing all the engine building and stuff. It pretty much ended up on his lap. Um, so. That's just a normal rule. You never put the tree into the driver's side. Like you protect yourself yeah. and smash your driver, your, your navy with you. But um, yeah, so I hit this thing and whatnot. And it ended up being like it wasn't. Um, yeah, it wasn't too bad. We got it all kind of sorted. I think we the year before. I think I qualified like 18th or something. It was just uh, well that story too. I ended up rolling that truck. I broke a rear hind joint or something in the suspension arm. Flipped and rolled that thing five times up the track and. Then made that crew then. That day worked till 3 o'clock in the morning to get that thing going before scrutineering night and whatnot. Actually, we missed scrutineering night and then we had to yeah, put straight in the Saturday morning and that's where we knew that rule could come into play for us to try and help us get out my truck ready and sorted. Um, and went and threw it around the prologue track and like was literally, oh, not scared of it, but I was just like, I'd, I'd already trashed it once and I just needed to get it around prologue. And you were renting it. And I'm renting it. Um, so I knew once I got on the actual Fink track and like the track's pretty straight, there's really no turn. So I couldn't actually roll the thing unless it broke another suspension part and flipped me on my roof and whatever. But, um, yeah, once I got in that race then for the first time, yeah, I started sending it down the track. I was just mowing people down and giving them little love taps and stuff, getting them out of the way. That's the trophy truck way. It's either, um, two honks or two, uh, two ton. So it's, um, yeah, and that's about it. And then, uh. <laughs> Yeah, we. Uh, but my own truck, having my own thing, my own kind of setup there, our whole own, my own crew, my own team. Um, yeah, the result came out pretty damn well. Like, I was pretty damn pumped with just to be there. Like, literally, we, we showed up. Just racing was going to be a win. Just racing. Just to get the thing to take off the line and go 15Ks in the track was going to be a win for me. Like, an, or 200 metres into the track was going to be a win. So... Everybody that was there was just like, how the hell did you, did you get pull that, this pull that off? Like, you literally bought this truck, like, and uh, so, nine like, days ago. We called every single person in the Australian trophy truck community hunting parts. So, everyone knew how bad we were struggling to make yeah. this happen, too. So, it's like, everyone knew what was going down. Yeah, that's it. Like, it, like, it, it became to a point where I was, I was trying to do it like on the side just to get it like to go because everyone kind of thought yeah no well now toby's not even going to show up at all because there's no truck there's no bike so well, why would you why would he even come out to the race or the event so we um yeah try to start to do things on the side and just 
keep it hush hush because we're, we're like, oh, well, we hope it works. And then like, literally, we started running into a problem. So I rang one guy and just said, hey, you got this part. And then, then it was like, Chinese then whispers. just Chinese whispers. And then things started getting around. And it was like, then we just started getting into a hell of a lot of trouble and pain and torture and just things weren't going right. And so then we we're just ringing pretty much everyone in the off road community saying, hey, we need parts. Can you help us? We need, I want to be in the race. But. I know you don't like giving competitors parts and whatnot and you've paid for the parts, but if we use them, we break them or we, we don't use them, we give them back to you or I replace them with brand new parts. I just don't care. We need to get it to happen. And by the end of it, by the time we rocked up there, everyone kind of knew it was, it was happening, but um, they just said there's no way in the world that truck's going to run. It's not going to be competitive. It's it won't not, finish. It won't finish. It won't get, like, you, you won't even make it to the start line. Like, it's you bought this truck no yeah like it was like nine days prior to the event and the thing was still sitting in america so they're like this it's just not possible like it's got a blown motor in it and it's in america so yeah you're dreaming so yeah. um once here people yeah i'm just that type of person if, if if someone tells me something's out of reach and not possible like i just i want to prove people wrong and it's just um that's why i take my racing as well like someone says something's not possible you can't clear that gap or you can't do this and it's just like yeah, it just gives you that fire and that drive in the belly to to make it happen and do it and get it right and get it done. So, um, yeah, we took off in that race and um, away we went. And um, like I say, we, we qualified in the thing seventh. So basically with no seat time in the truck, in the brand new truck, brand new motor that never raced and driven, everything like that was, um, I think, yeah, we qualified seventh, like I said. And um, everyone's like, okay, this is not a, probably not a good thing. This is... Um, He's is, in with is, the shot. He's yeah. in with the shot now. Like, it's actually working. Like, it's a, it's actually a functioning truck that can do pretty... Like, it sounds like it's going to do some damage. So, uh, yeah, just that year was... Oh, the the dust and whatnot was just torture and whatever. But it was... Um, yeah, we got down the other end into fifth. So, we picked up a couple of spots. Uh, everything was good. Truck looked good in person down the other end. I think we just had a slow leak in one of the tires, which didn't go down or whatnot. Like it just, um, I think it was like a small stick went through it. We had to change that and just change the oils and and an air filter. Um, we were back on gas and ready for good to go again. And uh, on the way home, yeah, we punctured one. I just, I kind of didn't see nothing. I just, like kind of slid into a bank, like just, just kind of like a berm on a bike, really. And it must have picked up a stick or a rock or something. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was like a little small stump. Pull a hole in the sidewall, so we had to change a tire and whatnot. Um, and then, unfortunately, with all the work and every all the pain and torture I put everyone through, we come up. I think it was 60, 65 k's short of day two's finish to cross the finish line. I think we we're sitting in You're fourth in third or, or third fourth, yeah. or something. So. Um. Yeah, well, far out. If we could have crossed the finish line in that position for the amount of time, prep time, and stuff we had, like that would have just been, that would have been a win and ten times more for us. But um, ended up breaking a five dollar bolt that holds a harmonic balancer on. That then that part moved away from the crank sensor and just shut the whole truck down because it just didn't know what part it of the truck. It basically broken. like put it into limp mode. It just put it into limp mode. Like the truck would sit there and idle, but as soon as you went to try and put gas and put a bit of fuel through it, like it just went, we don't know what's going on, we don't know where we're at and don't know where we're situated. So yeah, just put it into that limp mode and um, unfortunately yeah, we had to kind of get towed out, but um, still people like the sponsors and everybody that were on board and they were pretty damn pumped with the, the, the coverage they were getting and what they got out of it and what we did and... The story behind it and whatnot, and um, yeah, made a bit of a made of an interesting time. So it was just to show 
I'm that person as well. Like I just I like to show nothing's impossible and um, always come back from injuries and things and stuff like that. You just can't can't give up on. So worked well, but um, yeah, it just wasn't the the final result we wanted. So we started this podcast by saying 2017 has been shit. And that was the halfway point of it. Yep. So for you, like, we, I guess the whole trophy truck think thing is almost the same deal as Another what you failure for the year <laughs> no but it's all like what i mean is more that it was so hard just to get there mm. that just finishing or even just taking off was going to be a win so yeah. is fit is dakar 2017 2018 is just gonna you sitting on that start line is that gonna be almost a similar feeling like it's just yeah. been such a fucking shit road to get there yeah that just being on the start line of Dakar this year is gonna be a win for you like yeah. is, is that where your head's at now going into this yeah 100 percent. like that's um i'm not expecting really anything out of the race this year and um just to be trying to line up and like i say uh like i rode yesterday and the the legs i'm four weeks out from the race so my, I'm not a ball of fitness, I'm not in the best of shape, and the legs, yeah, is definitely much, much, much better, but it's, um, yeah, it just hasn't had the time on the bike, so I don't know what's going to be out of it, but um, like I say, it comes down to basically just being there at the end of the day and racing and just seeing what comes out of it and, and go from there, but it's, yeah, it's it's, it's just a win for me, um, hopefully just to line up to say there's still hope that maybe the year after in 2019 that the um the race might be a lot better for us so we'll just um we'll just take it by ear and um, see what happens well mate it's been good it's been been a bit of a uh been a bit of a long one been a bit of a long one but yeah we just covered some ground covered some ground but um yeah other than that it's all been good just been keeping busy we're, we're actually yeah just starting to launch um next lot of range of merchandise and stuff yeah tell me about that that was like a one little one little plug we were gonna we were gonna throw out it's right at the end of the whole thing, so I'm pretty sure everyone's been sick of talk or hearing me talk for the first 20 minutes. So 20 minutes? Then yeah, that, well, that's what I mean. 20 minutes, and then everybody's going, "Mate, this guy's just I'm talking out. shit. I'm out. Like I just don't want to hear no more." So it's probably not going to get the best traction of the. We'll the cut it. We'll cut it into an Instagram. Okay, cool. Right, Give we'll us a there. one minute. Give us a one minute merch spiel so that we can socialize it. Yep. So now look, we're just starting to put all pieces of puzzle together for our next. Uh, this will be our second lot of merchandise coming out. So. We're going to re- release that now on uh, www.tp87.com.au. Um, so, yeah, it would just be like links and stuff through my Instagram, Facebook. And, um, yeah, we're going to load that up pretty much uh, in the next day or two. Um, so, yeah, it would be just kind of get something out there, just of my name and stuff for the support from everyone. And um, so, yeah, hopefully some more support going into Dakar. And um, I guess, yeah, maybe some more little presents under the Christmas tree that are coming up very soon. And um yeah just yeah appreciate everyone's support and everyone's um yeah buying the merchandise and stuff so it's uh exciting times for us hopefully it all goes well um we bought a fair bit of stock this this trip the first lot went really well so we're just hoping the next stuff just rolls on well and we um yeah can take probably some of it to to think for next year and and go from there as well when you were when you were racing motocross and you were kind of struggling and you're on some teams and you were you you weren't the dude (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I, I knew you back in the day. Well, I didn't know you like I do Personally, now. But yeah. back back then, I knew you was the the chubby kid that was Loved trying to... Love the meat to, pie and... But you were trying to make it. Yeah. And you were, you were sort of on the on the fringe of the cool kids. 
You weren't a Cody Mackey. You weren't a Mitch Hode. You weren't a Cade Mosig. Yeah. And they're all legends. But, yeah, 100%. But you're not... You weren't in that little crew. A, oh, yeah, that's it. I was, like, I was a country boy, like, and just wasn't part... Like, uh, it's not that I didn't fit in or nothing or... Like, it just didn't really match that side of the crew. Them boys are always had, like, the rad new, like, cool shoes and shirts and hats and rad gear the bikes were always blinged up and really nice and everything and my bikes through juniors and stuff are all stock then i come onto the factory team with kawasaki to go into motocross and supercross literally my first supercross race was when i was 16 years old and i lined up i think the right hand side was troy carroll and then the left hand side was troy doran and like those guys were like pretty much legends to me growing up and then um here i am sitting on a start line in sydney that time sydney superdome and then got landed on by bronte holland um in one of the heats so um, yeah, I, I wasn't, um, yeah, like I wasn't one of the cool kids and it was like, uh, an outcast. It's, an it's, it's not a knock saying they're cool kids, but like no, 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 no. traditionally they're cool dudes. Yeah, like, 100%. I still talk to Mackie, like I literally spoke to him today. He's cool as fuck. Yeah. But yeah. that's, there's a difference. Uh, yeah. It's not a, they're negative cool was, dudes, but they, they were just, yeah, you're a country I was kid. More, I was, I was like, more of just a shy kid just from yeah. the country and didn't, um, being out there, you were just you're a long way from everybody, and just you weren't in contact with all the big sponsors, yeah, all the all big names, and then they're all mates, and they were always hanging out together, yeah. and, and then it was just like I was a blow in, like it was just like, hey guys, how you going? Can I come and hang out with you? And like just, and it was like, I don't know, I, I was just that shy guy that didn't really wasn't outspoken and like clowned around and like did really cool things. It was just like I was a bit of a fatty, chubby kid, and just trying to come through and start winning, hopefully winning some races in seniors. And um, But no, they're all really rad dudes, easy going, fun but, and whatnot to be around. And um, yeah, I just, I just had, had to have a little bit of time to warm up and get into that. But how does it feel now? Like, you know, you're working with Matty on merch and then you've got a trophy truck and you're a Dakar champ and now you've got a sick house in the Goldie and you're not in the country anymore. And you like, did you ever think say on that day when you lined up next to Doz and TC that this would be Toby Price's life fast forward 10 years like how you know what I mean it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's such it. a crazy journey that you've been on and then not to mention like three career ending injuries is in that time like could you ever imagine that you'd be on a podcast not that this is a big podcast but you'd be even on a podcast saying dropping my second range of merch and I had to buy more because the first one went so well. Like, is it just, no. is it a weird position now that you find yourself in? Yeah, 100%. Like, I never, like, for sure, starting on that start line, I wanted to beat them guys sitting beside me because they were, like, my heroes and people that I looked up to and wanted to beat. But I never, on like, like I say, I had dreams and goals and visions of being that top guy and being those guys. But, but it was your just... goals back then would be... <laughs> so shit compared to what you've actually achieved like yeah, yeah, i don't even like, think you could have envisioned this oh literally sitting on that start line to there i would never have ever thought i would have been trying to make merchandise and sell product of my name or something to anybody like and that people and, would actually want it and, and people actually want it and actually people thought i was a nice cool crazy like guy that went and raced a motorcycle flat out like i just never ever thought that it was just i wanted to race motocross and supercross make it in that and go to america and race over there and do what those guys are doing but just the path this kind of just led away from that and went other directions but yeah like i said never in my wildest dreams i would have thought that yeah i'd um be racing a motorcycle something i love doing making a living out of it making money that's like yeah for sure it's not gonna set me up 
in my future and I can retire and never work a day in my life, but it's something that I can say that I've traveled the world doing, um, some bills are being covered and paid. I've bought a house and, uh, yeah, I own a trophy truck and, um, just things like that. Yeah. It's, it, it really is something Yeah, you wake up in the morning and pinch yourself and go, is this all really happening? And, but then, yeah, you just got to go, well, I need to keep working. Like it, not not say like once you start getting all these things it just doesn't get easier like it gets more work and it gets more traction from people and then more sponsors jump on board it, plus it you start being, you start being toby price yeah so it's, now it's, like you're not it's it's almost like you're not just accountable for yourself you're accountable it's just like to your you know like you're accountable to toby price the toby price brand being 16 you were toby price and then now here i am it's like my name has kind of been cancelled and like I'm, I'm a brand and it's like um it's like a, well, it's my, like my you're not toby been, yeah, you're not, now you're toby price yeah it's it. it's like it's you've just been cancelled from your name and you're now becoming a product that's getting sold to people like it's um yeah it's like i've just gone through through the government and changed my name and i'm gonna have somebody else's name and whatnot and then that's just a, a brand to the side of me now so it's um but it, no, it's, it's a cool thing for sure it's um we just got to keep working on it and i'll keep trying to get Maddie and Dave to um yeah do things that yeah we're, we're trying to push them forward for and get and whatnot and um yeah there's still plenty on the list that I want to do and have some my name and um some things yeah like would love to try and get a Baja 1000 win on a bike and in a trophy truck um would love to get yeah two three more wins at Dakar on a bike then hopefully get Dakar wins in a car if I can then try and get that situation to switch over that way um what else could i do for, yeah like far out I'll, I'll race race a camel if i have to out in the middle of northern territory like if i can get a title in that i'll have a crack at it like anything that gets thrown at me i'll grab it with both hands and have a crack like it's it's you never say no to anything because you never know where it's going to take you You never know the interesting people you're going to meet along the way and um you just you just try and make something out of sometimes nothing and um just see what what it kind of pans in the future for you is that like a trying to kind of finish on something cool is you sort of just were saying like um you had these goals when you're on that start line of racing supercross and motocross so if you just restricted yourself to like this is all i want this is the goal and you weren't flexible in that pursuit of the whole motocross supercross thing like if you didn't just say yes to that or if you didn't go down the road of going to think the first time or maybe mm. trying your hand at off-road because you thought it was fun like is that the message that you would spread to kids or just people in general is like oi have a crack because i'm now a dakar champion when i never knew i was even gonna be able to ride in the bush yeah that's it that's in 2004 when i first lined up at a supercross event all I wanted to do was go that way. And if I just, I don't know, if I just kind of funneled my vision to a supercross, motocross win, yeah, for sure, 100%, that would be rad, badass to win those those type of titles. But, um, yeah, she's like, I never even thought of being enduro. At that stage, I'd never even heard of Dakar. I didn't even know what that race was. Like, it just, um, things just kind of changed and went, started going different directions and I started to see views of other things and whatnot and, um, wasn't getting distracted away from motorcycle racing, but it was just other things were popping up and it was like things just weren't working out in motocross and supercross. Um, I went back and did a nine-to-five job in 2008 to try and go and race motocross series and do the best I could as a privateer. And 
Um, look, I, like I say, I would not change my past at all, like from all the, the highs and lows, the injuries and where I started racing and where I went to and the events I tried and the things I grabbed a hold of, like I just wouldn't change none of it. Like it's just, it's been a another road and things the other way. But that's, yeah, the same thing, like you say, just um, trying to let, yeah, people know that it, it, it may not be the goal in the video. Like in 2009, I came into Enduro. That was the first time, like, I literally I couldn't get a ride to do motocross in 2008 because no one had trust in me, no one had faith, and I wasn't really bringing results. So it was like, well, I had to buy bikes, I had to pay for my own things and whatnot to get there. And then I had just last, last, last minute option was like, hey, do you want to come race enduro with the Kawasaki team, which was the MSC Shift Kawasaki Off Road Race Team? And I'm like, what the hell is off road? Like it just, I don't even want to want to do it. I went and watched like one video of it and went, ah doesn't look too bad all right sweet i'll try and come in and just smoke all them boys and make money then i'll go back and then i'll start paying for my own stuff and go race motocross and supercross again and then i don't know i just came through and won my first championship in 2009 with the kawasaki team and um that then opened the door to sign the with the, the motor x kdm off-road team in 2010 and then that just kind of then opened me opened my door to the desert racing and um fink and hadar desert racing and um yeah, that was that was just, I kind of all just kicked off from there. So it's been all whole different things of going on and whatnot. But I just I, I just grabbed whatever I could with both hands and was just trying to make something out of really sometimes nothing. And um, and then yeah, now like we're sitting here right now. And like I say, I've got my places and I've got bikes and I've got cars sponsorship with cars and uh, I've got a trophy like the trophy truck and everything. It's just like there's just so much stuff happening now. And it's like shit. You, you'd pinch yourself and just go. Back in 2004, I never would have thought I would have had all this stuff that I've got now, but then it never ends. You always want more. So it's like you just keep working to get more and you put more headache and more work onto your shoulders and just keep keep trucking along. Right, mate. We'll wrap it up. Thank God for that. Mate, you were the one talking. I know. I wouldn't shut up, mate. <laughs> no, it was good. I appreciate good it. It's, um, oh, man, we like it never actually really talk all we ever do is hang shit on each other true it's so actually pretty funny to actually sit down and have a legit conversation legit conversation without ripping into each other and stuff like literally because you just got a, home because you're just, just a pest i'm wanting to freaking go home already but you're just a pest you steal my mum right now bro you steal my mum you steal my dad you take up my couch when your mum and dad you put eat all posts my on, cheese coke you when, eat all my cheesecake oh i love cheesecake mate but damn when your mum and dad put posts on social media who do they tag first they might they tag me because I'm, I'm the best son that's just how it is i just tag you because you're so insensitive like you're so sensitive about it that you're like, if you're they didn't tag whinged, me at all yeah, i'd cry whinged. i'll sit at home and i'm just i'm secure i'm secure <laughs> right i will wrap, right, it up. wrap it up get out of here please. thanks for listening everybody appreciate it toby good luck mate i, I am i give what's, you shit i am cheering you what's the next door like a like a crib session or what like are you going to come through the house see what's in my fridge and shit or what no nah, no nah, just okay. i'm just leave it i'm that. just a podcaster mate sick